Good evening. Do you believe in ghosts? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Only some of you may know what I'm referencing here, but Terry is back. The vibes are going to be happening next week. He's slicing and dicing. Join the sleaze. Thank you. Absolutely. We decide <laughs> on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we are in our approaching, I think, five years of 120, 130-plus bonus episodes, as well as our bonus transmission series, which we've done like 30 or 40 of, where we talk about new release genre films, which we are eyeing doing a nothing but horror spooky bonus transmission because there's enough horror movies coming out this month that we can do it. So again, <laughs> if you haven't made the jump, patreon.com slash Leezoids podcast, and we will give the uh, shout outs here. Speaking of which, uh, so we had two people sign up for the $10 a month rate, which was Jackson Littlewood and Aaron Keskin, uh, who are going to be joining us for the virtual screening that we usually do on the last Thursday of every month. And we've been having a lot of people sign up and join us. And for the Halloween one, it's worth noting, we're actually going to be doing it on the Friday, the 28th, I believe. And uh, we are going to be doing a double feature. So we are going to be doing one, uh, a free one for all of our listeners, anyone can join in. And then the follow-up is going to be a uh, bonus exclusive just for our new virtual signups that we have here at $10 a month. So yeah, thanks to uh, those two for signing up and uh, joining us for that. Uh, we also had Amber sign up at $5 a month. And we had Max Jackson sign up. And last but not least, Anson Tran sign up so thanks so much to uh you folks hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes yeah thank you we appreciate the support that's the one plug for the week the other plug as always is uh, apple podcasts and spotify if you were listening on either one of those platforms and i see the stats i see you right now listening on both those platforms give us a good old rating and review down at the bottom it helps us uh climb the ranks and find new listeners and we appreciate that as well and the very last plug as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the show, you can get that basically put on anything that you can think of. You can get a hoodie, you can get a pen, you can get a notebook, a pillow, a poster, anything that you can think of at the link in the description, as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com. But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. 
Welcome. I think uh, we are in the thick of the spooky season. So two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks would have heard from us over on the main feed where we would have had a special guest film writer from Film School Rejects, Anna Swanson, make her second appearance on the show and bring with her a uh what we deemed the 1976 fuck them kids uh (laughs) horror drama double feature of richard donner's the omen the classic as well as a very sort of underseen and underrated sort of spanish horror film by one uh, chicho cerador called who can kill a child which is a movie that absolutely poses a question and then answers that question for (laughs) for anyone interested (laughs) <laughs> yes i haven't actually never seen a more gleeful murder of children in a final action set piece than that film so if you have any interest yeah. in uh uh children's horror and uh, adults having to reckon with that over on the main feed two weeks ago go check it out but uh last week we had your uh, over on the patreon exclusively We had your patron voted double feature, which I'm sure many of you are aware of by now. But every two months we have the uh, the patrons do a little democratic vote on the double feature that you all want us to cover. And Mm -hmm. you guys uh, were little freaks last week (laughs) and had us do a double feature of one of the scuzziest, most lo-fi and uncomfortable pairings we've ever had to cover. And they are very uh, 80s serial killer movies done in this very disturbingly intimate style with just very filthy, filthy vibes to them front to back. We talked about the 1980 film Maniac, directed by William Lustig. And we paired that with the Austrian film from 1983, very notorious film, Angst, directed by Mm -hmm. Gerald Cargill. Uh, Both films have some of the nastiest murder sequences and the procedure of serial murder sequences that (laughs) had existed when they came out. And yeah, I will say we absolutely needed to take a shower after that episode. Yeah, it was absolutely disgusting. Uh, Shame on all of you. I'm not. I'm just kidding, though. It was unbelievable. I love Angst so much. Maniac's great too, but Angst is just one of my favorites. Yeah, which is also just a weird, a weird expression sometimes because that movie <laughs> just makes me feel terrible. Yeah, um, I know. Right? I just for me to like you know, so it, highly rate that thing after you, after what it makes <laughs> you feel like. It's just craziness. Yeah. So if you want uh, ultra sleazy serial killer movies, that was over on the Patreon feed last week. So go check that out. But moving on to this week, we have a very special returning guest joining us this week. He is the host of the wonderful uh, Sound Tracker podcast that covers movie soundtracks that I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with. And he hasn't been on the show in quite a little while, but he's making a glorious return. Yes. That guest is Eric Peacock. Eric, how you doing? I'm great. And I'm really glad to be back here because I, I was we talked about this during the episode we did that um, I couldn't remember the last time I was on here and it was year one. And I cannot believe that you let me come on during year one and talk about pieces and slugs. Like that is just <laughs> one of the most amazing things in the world to me that it was that early in the show that you were just like, yeah, whatever, come on and talk about. I actually found out <laughs> recently, by the way, just as a quick aside that sl- I've really recently gotten into the seventies, um, eighties trade paperback, like the, you know, those like really cool cover horror pulpy novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, yeah. the, paperbacks from hell sort of books slugs was based on a novel and i don't think that's something i knew until like two weeks ago but oh, uh man. 
there's there's source material for that movie. <laughs> so, That'd be interesting yeah. to read the uh, the heavy detailed uh, <laughs> paragraphs of just slugs going into people and whatever else. I I thought you were going to say it for pieces. I was like, what could possibly be the lore <laughs> behind pieces? Yeah. You know, what was happening there? Um, but yeah, no, that was it's been a long time. That was definitely in our first year of the show, and we're now approaching like the fifth year of the show. So we we knew we eventually had to have you on back, and especially too because you obviously you've started your own podcast called Soundtracker, which as uh, Eric just mentioned, Jamie and I. By the time that you guys are listening to this, Jamie and I would have just been on it last week, where we would have been talking uh, Devil's Rejects yeah. by Rob Zombie, specifically because we wanted to talk about you know something something horror and gruesome, and that you know for the month of October that Jamie and I love, but also most a lot of people don't uh, remember that that uh, Rob Zombie has really great taste in just like outlaw country and southern rock music, which is just front to back what that entire soundtrack is, despite the content of the film being much more disturbing than that so we had a blast talking about that with eric so make sure to go check out his feed for for us all talking about rob zombie um but for uh this week eric we have the guests bring on the double feature so what two films have you brought with you this week and why did you pair these two together night of the demons and nightbreed and the reason is uh these are two that i'll never get to talk about on my own show no that's not the that's not, that's not the <laughs> that's connection why we they have here. the devil's rejects yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it's two movies I'll, no uh at the end well outside of the fact they both have night in the title they're both horror films that delve into and obviously it's a lot it's a lot more pronounced in nightbreed but they sort of have this fairy tale aspect to them uh night mm. of the demons I mean, Night of the Demons tries for an Alice in Wonderland thing, and really the only way that it gets it right is in the the outfit. You know, <laughs> she's in an Alice outfit. Uh, I know from the commentary that that was something they were going for a little bit more, was a little bit of an Alice in Wonderland motif. But, you know, Nightbreed is 100%. Like, I mean, it's almost like an, a, a really weird adult fairy tale, you know, mm-hmm. with Midian and all that. And uh, mm-hmm. so that would be my connection with these is that they're two what I think are like top notch horror films that I, I am just really glad to be talking about regardless that sort of have a fairy tale fairy tale quality to them that Nightbreed, like I said, is the one that kind of gets a little more correct. But it's it's enough of a enough of a connection for these to work. Yeah. yeah, well, they they also have like a monster movie connection a little bit too, with like the creature, some of the creature effects that they're doing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so I, I definitely picked up on that aspect as well. And also, you know, this is our last uh, main feed episode before Halloween, so we're just kind of getting into the Halloween vibes. And I would say Night of the Demons, if nothing else, that's that's what it's going for. It's literally mm-hmm. oh, takes yeah. place on a Halloween, the the night of a Halloween party. Um, so I do think that it's a it's going to be a fun way to uh, get people into. The the spooky season if they are still waiting for their uh their opportunity to do so and that being said i think we are going to jump right into it here let's start off with night of the demons All right, we are talking Night of the Demons, the 1988 American supernatural horror comedy film directed by one Kevin S. Tenney 
and written by Joe Augustine. And these are two filmmakers we have not talked about because they do not have the, uh, I guess, most significant careers that, you know, when <laughs> I went and looked them up, I was kind of like, I don't know what some of these are. So I had to <laughs> immediately delve into them and be like, how did two guys I've not heard of, uh, you know, come out with this at a certain point in their career? And Joel Augustine, who, who wrote the screenplay here. He's a Philadelphia-born producer and writer, and he is apparently a very real, unequivocal believer in paranormal research. And he genuinely, in his own personal life, just advocates for scientific investigations into the spiritual realm. Um, And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, this screenplay coming for him kind of makes sense. Um, And and, and he genuinely apparently thinks that, you know, if we learned more about this, that it would bring about world peace. And he has written books and articles about this. That's amazing. Um, So he wrote us, he wrote a script called Halloween party, uh, which is, uh, and we were just mentioning with Eric before we started recording here that, yeah, like it was speaking of getting us into the Halloween party vibes. Here's a (laughs) film that was literally at one point going to be called Halloween party. And he got the interest of this Kevin Tenney, whose biggest claim to fame seems to be this film from 1986 called Witchboard. Eric, Mm -hmm. have you seen this film, Witchboard? Uh, Okay, one of the things I was going to bring up is that I actually really like Kevin Tenney as a director. Like, Witchboard 1 Mm. and 2 and Witch Trap are, like, all pretty awesome, like, 80s movies. Um, Okay. Sweet. Yeah. I I might need to watch up. Strong recommend. And then he had How many of them have this same premise? Because I was reading the (laughs) log lines for a lot of them, and I was like, so many of them are, like, Ouija boards, seances. Demons (laughs) are coming into the house, yeah. So Witchboard 1 and 2 are obviously, there's a third Witchboard even, but Witchboard 1 and 2, I don't think he had anything to do with the third one, but Witchboard 1 and 2 are uh, obviously like direct sequels. And Witch Trap is a like a spinoff that involves the like villain from Witchboard 1 and 2. The, oh, he had a franchise going. Yeah, it was like a franchise. Um, now, beyond that, his, his 90s didn't look so great. Like he had a movie called The Cellar that's all right and Pinocchio's Revenge, which is kind of like a fun shitty movie. But um <laughs> He started off very promising between Witchboard 1 and 2 and Witch Trap and this movie. Like, four very solid movies that just, uh, you know, didn't didn't adjust to the 90s well once that time came. Yeah, well, these these two seem like a, uh, a very interesting pairing because, I mean, at, at the time that this came out, uh, on release, this ended up being quite a, a box office hit for them. Uh, it, it, it's, they had a $1 million budget and I think it ended up grossing over $3 million, but basically everyone was like, wow, this is one of the most cliche movies I've just ever seen in my <laughs> life. People were, people were like, this is just a, in a, in a, in a cool way. You can kind of feel that it's, it's doing a little bit of trying to parody some horror stuff, but at the same yeah. time, it's also just very lovingly blending so many different things together. Like you have some elements of the possession film, you have some elements of the slasher film, you have some elements at a certain point of like zombie and monster films kind of going on. And people got enough of the vibes out of this one. They ended up making two sequels to this and even doing a remake of this film. Yeah. Yeah. So this film clearly has a, has an audience. Now for for you Eric, was this like a like a like a VHS staple? Was this like a like a fun one to put on? Like what was your relationship to this one? Oh yeah, this was uh you know, being born in 1980, like I was forged in the fire of Gilbert Gottfried's USA Up All Night and um this was absolutely like a VHS rental, a 
USA Up All Night staple. Um, and, and you know, it's one that I've owned on both DVD and I bought the like Shout Factory Blu-ray. They they ended up double dipping on that one and doing a 4K, but I did not break down and buy that because I've, <laughs> I've, I've broken myself of that habit because the Blu-ray that I have looks great. But no, this is one of those ones that, you know, Halloween is my favorite time of year. As I'm sitting here talking to you, I am like literally surrounded by Halloween decorations and like everything. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just like my favorite time of year. And, you know, this movie, it's one that I think without even trying just distills like that Halloween feeling. I mean, oh, yeah. despite being at a Halloween party, like it really is like a monster film. But uh, it 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 really nails the essence of like Halloween fun. And it's it's one of those it's a staple for me every year in October. I watch Night of the Demons or or even part two, which is not bad. Nice. Yeah, I did hear that part two uh, was actually pretty good as well. Yeah, this uh, this poster has been in my brain for a long time. Uh, I used to, I've, I've talked about it on the show a couple of times, but there was a video movie shop in my hometown Chatham and I would just go down the VHS horror uh, section and just look at everything because all of the posters were always so violent and crazy and I was always just like, what's inside that, you know? And this was one of them, so it was, it was cool to finally uh, see what it, what it was instead of just imagining this entire time. Yeah, see this movie that is at once incredibly corny, incredibly horny, and gross uh, all at, all at once. It's a teen <laughs> Halloween party movie that basically turns into a demon body horror thing, and also includes like a lots of very silly, almost like Scooby Doo shenanigans of like wandering the house and getting locked in lost rooms, and it it has mm-hmm. this very sort of juvenile anarchic kind of quality to the way that the kids kind of talk to each other and just say nasty things yeah, to one it feels another like uh, nobody likes each other at all like the, the <laughs> couples kind of like each other and they want to have sex but even and that, even then the relationships are strained there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only one is the and i can't remember the title but they're dressed as um the, the girls i think in some in a green outfit and the, the guy's a doctor and their relationship seems kind of okay but the other ones and the way that they interact are just it's it's like they hate each other and i found that to be kind of funny after a certain point mm-hmm. a little but strange I, but I do first, like because you're like why are you guys hanging out <laughs> yeah. yeah all stooge I, do, all stooge does is call his girlfriend a bitch the or not, not even his girlfriend yeah. just like that girl that he's with the, like, the entire movie he's like you he just, bitch like every five seconds <laughs> yeah he just he just like he's like take the wheel bitch or he's just like you know <laughs> make, making making fun of her and she's, yeah. she's like crying and he's just like go home <laughs> yeah it's, it's very dysfunctional incredibly yeah, these are these are I mean, I was reading up a lot of because I have a lot of friends who have who have seen this one. I was kind of going through people's logs to kind of gauge how people felt about this one. And there was a lot of people being like, man, I just I this is one of those ones where you there's just a lot of unpleasant people that you get to watch die. <laughs> yes. um, and yeah, definitely. that's definitely part of part of the fun fun there. But I do like the uh, little animated uh, like gr- sort of graphic design intro that it has where it's oh, like, yeah. this, Pure you know, just to pick Halloween vibes. Yeah. yeah, like very spooky, stormy night and there's the hill on the mountainside and demons flying around and the jack-o'-lanterns and the creepy staircases and everything. It's a it's a good little introduction. Yeah, absolutely. It it it, it does kind of set the tone. I mean, the thing, as we said, it gets really like the language is pretty bad. Like they, they're swearing at each other constantly. <laughs> there is sex. There's a lot of violence. But it somehow does give this. I think it's because of how juvenile the dialogue is. It, it still does give this kind of like classic Halloween feel, um, even though it really dives into the the genre stuff and the really 
gross stuff as well. Um, but they just, they definitely talk like they're 15, 16 years old, you know? So I think that helps. <laughs> well, I, you know, one of the things I, I always think about this movie is it almost feels like, and you brought up a good point at being completely unpleasant characters in return of the living dead. Uh, it's almost like if re- you were watching just the punk character, cause there's like a punk sensibility mm-hmm. to this too, that I feel like it almost feels like it would parallel with return of the living dead. Absolutely. Because yeah. Also, the, uh, Linnea Quigley, correct? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, You've totally. got her in there. And it's like, if, if Return of the Living Dead didn't have any characters but the punk kids in it, like that's <laughs> yeah. what you're spending time with. You know, it's like unlikable people mostly that don't really get along and bicker and do shitty things and uh, and then yeah. die. Yeah, they even start like the, the the punk vibes are right off the bat. Like as soon as it trans, uh, transforms from the, the cartoon to the, the live action, uh, it, it goes into them like driving across the neighborhood and like just skirting around and showing their asses. And In a hilarious Halloween themed car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got like a, hello, uh, a pumpkin on the rooftop or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Stooge is driving around with an appropriate like pig's mask on, which by the way, he's played by Hal Havens, who we last mentioned. He was in uh, uh, Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama. So oh, I was like, damn, awesome. which was also with Linnea Quigley. So right. I was like, damn, like she's she's just she's popping up everywhere. She's a bit of a Sleazoids legend at this point because yeah. she was also in like we've covered Silent Night, Deadly Night that she's in Savage Streets, like Dead Heat. Uh, she was just in uh, The Giver, which we just right. covered a couple weeks ago. Um, she's in so, so much. She, it's kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was, you know, she she had a really uh, big thing, which, by the way, apparently part of the reason that she's in so much of this stuff. And I mean, not because this is how she got the role, but partially because they were she was collaborating with her husband, who is a special effects artist by the name of Steve Johnson, who did all mm. of the pretty well done effects work for this film and was someone who worked with as far as I could tell screaming mad George and Steve Wang he helped the he did a little bit of work on the predator he did a little bit of work on some of the nightmare on Elm Street sequels and he met Linnea Quigley I believe in the making of this film because he had to make her fake breast mold for the nipple scene, which we will get to. So true <laughs> romance was love. flying. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. the, her transformation is one of the big, like, big memorable things in this in this film. Like when she starts to have her face kind of stretched out when she's looking at herself in the mirror and all of that. Like even before they just place the makeup right on her and she becomes the full demon. They have some really cool. Uh, like stretch makeup or, or I don't know, animatronics of some kind on her face that are pretty impressive. So yeah, it's, it's the transformations to the demons once it gets to it is, uh, is a lot of fun to watch. I was surprised it took kind of like 45 minutes to get to the demons. Yeah, I was too. There is a lot of them. Um, just kind of, it's a a teen hangout movie. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And not with people you like spending time with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, actually I really love Saul's character arc in this. Like he is like the guy you think is going to be the one that like from the beginning, he's, he's got that, like, you know, that, that Brooklyn accent and he's, you know, he's the shithead to everybody. But, like, he's kind of the one that you're rooting for by the end a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was surprised at that because I, I I was calling him a rat boy the whole time because of the first <laughs> thing that he does to the old man when we're introduced to him. I think that's the character you're talking about, right? With the black yeah. hair. Yeah. And he, I think he, like, runs over to the old guy and puts, like, a dead rat in his face. And that, speaking of that old guy, 
I, I do really like that they, and we'll get to it completely by the end, but that they have this setup that's just very simple with this old man, and then they don't mention it whatsoever until the very end. <laughs> as this kind it's of great. like one exclamation point of the Halloween. longest setup and payoff gore gag that yeah. you've ever seen in a movie. It takes Absolutely. about like 80 minutes or so. But yeah, there's just like an old guy who just like hates all the kids who are riding around because and to be yeah. fair to him, the kids are fucking chaotic. Oh, like the yeah, way that I'd they're driving too. around and just like <laughs> breaking shit and like playing pranks on he- people. And like when the one guy tries to almost scares him to death with the rat, he goes, careful, pops, you're you're going to blow your pacemaker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. These kids are just out for blood, basically. Um, yeah. So, and- he, so he's like, these damn rotten kids are going to get what they deserve. Meanwhile, he's dropped his grocery bag which we it is revealed he's carrying apples and razor blades from the store and Classic. i immediately i was like question mark yeah <laughs> it was in my notes i was like well okay this this old guy wants to kill some kids that's how fed up he is with all these unpleasant teenagers which you do understand on some level <laughs> yeah. the thing i love so much about that setup is that it's like Chekhov's razor apples and like as many yes. times as many times as i've seen this movie and as much as I, it's such a funny when we get to it, it is such a funny payoff for this like gag that they yeah. do again. Like you said, it is shown at the beginning and it's not mentioned again. And it's so well done that like I almost forget that it's something that happens until the movie opens with that old guy. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's right. This is this is how it ends. Like, <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. I was uh, I, wa- I, I just wasn't even sure when it got to that point why we were on the old guy again. And then I remembered everything as soon as it was too late. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to the details, but yeah, it, I, I did think that that was quite funny, and I enjoyed that the 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 long gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the and the the basic setup for a lot of this is that a lot of these kids they're about to have a party. It follows mostly Judy and Jay, who are kind of like the 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 main central couple, the, the the two young high schoolers who are abandoning their Halloween plans to go to a school dance. And instead, they are going to go to the f- the uh, party at the former funeral parlor called Hull House, where the owner apparently used to uh, fuck corpses. And there was a big old blood and guts massacre that took place, took place there. And all these kids are like, man, it seems like the greatest spot for us to just go hang out there and get lost in there. And, you know, hopefully nothing spooky happens in this crematorium and we don't also try to do a seance that then summons demons that live inside the the uh, crematorium um <laughs> but the, the it's funny in these early sequences the dialogue and the performances are very very exaggerated is what i'll say and i'm oh, yeah. I, in the early goings i was like how much of this is like it's doing a bit like it, some of it was like so cornball and or or they were so like as soon as they got to some of the line deliveries, I was like, okay, they have to be leaning into that being hilarious. Cause like a, yeah. the brother pops out of the closet and is like, wow, bodacious boobies, sis. And I was like, okay. And he's that's a little the, you don't, shit. Like, yeah. In other scenes too. Like, and he's only in, I think the beginning, but it, he kind of, he kind of goes with the whole, the rest of the characters where it's just like everybody, except for maybe the lead and one other are just complete assholes. Yeah, that little brother is just such a little shithead. It's it's well, well, even even Sal, the way he's delivering the lines, because he, he's the one who gets to talk with the brother, right? And he's just mm-hmm. like, come on, why don't you spill the beans there? You know, here's a nice <laughs> chunk of change that'll loosen your lips a little. And just the, the, he's like the way or that something. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 25 cents. 
Yeah. yeah, he's like, yeah. are you kidding? Betray my beloved sister for a measly quarter? What do you think this is? The depression? Like, the lines are just, like, so silly, but in, like, a, a yeah. way that is, like, you know, like, at a certain point, I was definitely like, okay, this is this is what it's going for. I'm like, shit, the brother, what's the other thing the brother says about the girl that's weird, too? Oh, he's like, are you dating her for her personality or her big cha-chas? <laughs> Yeah, all he does is talk shit to Jay the whole time Jay's there, too. Like, he just, like, yes. like, he just needles him. Yeah, he talks shit and talks about his sister's boobs, like, way too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, like, the, yeah. some of the lines are, are pretty funny in this. Like, they, they and that's, I, I'm right there with you. It's kind of when I started getting on its wavelength a little more, because I'm like, okay, I think it's trying to be more parody. Um, and then it obviously takes the genre elements seriously and has fun with them and, and commits to them. But, uh, the, yeah, the dialogue is just so over the top that it has to be funny. Like I found it in my mother's closet. She used to be an acid head or, uh, <laughs> what was the one that it's about partying and he's just like, Oh, eat a bowl of oh, fuck. I can't hear to party. Oh my God. Eat a bowl of fuck is one of the best things I've ever heard. Yeah, I love Stooge. I love Stooge for all of, like, uh, and he literally, he is cranked to, it goes beyond 11. He plays everything at, like, 12. I mean, he is oh, just yeah. yelling. He's a um, monster. <laughs> I, I read that he took a lot of inspiration from Belushi for his, like, the way he played this <laughs> character, whether or not it comes through or not. But uh, that was, like, his inspiration was Belushi's performances when he would play that real manic. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and also the movie is very cartoonishly gratuitous as well. Like, oh, yeah. like having Judy, you know, she's she's talking to Jay on the phone, talking about how they're switching up their plans. And she's like bending over the mirror and stripping in front of her brother in the closet. And then the opening shot for Lydia Quigley is also her bent over at a convenience store, <laughs> distracting the cashiers. Yeah, you don't even see yes. her face for like the first 30 seconds. It's just <laughs> her butt. <laughs> yeah. Those two guys, that guy's just chomping his gum loudly as they walk. I love that they're just like, they're just so stoked that she's standing there like that the whole time. Yeah. I will say there is some uh, some really cool camera movements in this that I was surprised by. Like, I like the pan that they do across the aisles when um, the, uh, uh, what's, I, there's so many names I, I forget, but it's the girl in the black dress who becomes the demon initially. Angela. Angela, Angela yeah, Angela. Uh, and, and she, Only like, I, re I remember because I thought her and Lydia Quigley, I think when they get to go demon mode, I think they are probably delivering the best performances in the movie. Like they are oh, having oh, a blast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mode. Goblin mode, I guess we would call it now. <laughs> yeah. And I like like the camera as they're doing this this kind of plan to get a bunch of supplies for the party for free and basically stealing. Uh, the the camera kind of pans between the aisles and follows um, uh, Angela, and then they meet up. Uh, she meets up with Suzanne, who they find out she's bending over to distract the the cashiers. So yeah, we we, we kind of see what their strategy is right over the course yeah. of the shot. Yeah, and and even once they get to the house, there is a lot of cool like uh, slow pan uh, zoom outs uh, down the hallway, for instance, when they're looking down like a long dark hallway. Or there's even a couple moments where um, Judy is really stressed out, and she's kind of like uh, she's sitting down, kind of curled up in a ball, and the camera goes up above her. And there's just th there are a couple moments that I was surprised by, or or when um, Angela does the um, that kind of dance sequence a little bit. Um, there's some, some cool camera work mm -hmm. there. So yeah, it's not, I was surprised by some of its, uh, technical, 
uh, his technical ability just because I was expecting it to be just straight up like yeah looking at the cinematographer's other credits I was definitely surprised because it's shot by a guy named David Lewis and his other films are I'll list them out here Leprechaun 3 and 4 <laughs> right. yeah, uh, Hills Have Eyes 2 yeah. uh, Children of the Corn 5 Hell yeah. and then every single Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen movie from the 2000s <laughs> basically um I'll That's tell you unreal. the shot that the shot that I'm always I, I just love in this movie is when they're all looking in the broken mirror. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's I almost forgot. Awesome. Yeah, it's great because they have it like the, the mirror shatters and, and each person has like their own individual shard. It's a, it, it is a really cool shot. It's very memorable. And, uh, you know, they, they, they have some some cool stuff uh, with uh, the gore, especially when it comes into play. Um like they 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 almost ex- like overdo the blood when some like for instance when uh uh the pi- the piggy guy uh he gets his tongue bit off by Angela when she turns into a demon and there's just like an appalling amount of blood spraying out of his <laughs> mouth and, and and all of that so I I did really appreciate how how much they gored it up. Well, you get a really good eye gouging too. Oh uh, yeah, a fantastic eye gouging. Linnea Quigley had to come in and learn how to do eye gouging for this movie, by the way. That's another funny thing that I had read when I was looking <laughs> at background on this is that she had to come in and like practice gouging eyes out of a, <laughs> out of a, <laughs> a, a fake head to another make it look right. Oh, my God. <laughs> That'd be a fun day. Yeah. Yeah, well, because it, 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 it's kind of cool, like we're like like all of these kids, they've set up how unpleasant they are and how much they don't really get along with each other, but that they all want to have just like a, a night of 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 partying. They want to let loose. The they want to get into their costumes. And when they get to, to Hull House in the early goings, I was reminded a bit of that film that Trevor Henderson actually brought on the podcast for our spooky season last year where we talked about uh the midnight hour. I don't know if you remember oh, that yeah, one, Jamie, which totally. is very similar sort of um party high school Halloween party that then all of a sudden the party goes wrong and monsters start arising and things like vampires and ghouls and zombies. And I mean, there, and there's, there's even that one has a bit more of a lighthearted touch to it. It's not as yeah, mean spirited as this film is. Um, and I guess this one yeah, technically and, does with the dance, but it's it, the musical number in that one is more like uh, what you'd see on like a Disney channel or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and when the, the zombies start coming to life at the party, like no one recognizes and the zombies just kind of like want to have a fun time and like, like hang out yeah, with them and they literally great. just don't even realize that they're zombies like drinking the punch bowl and stuff yeah, like the that it's just, like, just okay. wanted to party and get wasted i like i, yeah. I like that a lot but it has that a lot of the same like spooky candlelight and cobwebs and candy spreads and you know just the kids partying and hanging out until the radio dies and they go well there's no more music so it's time to play the classic party game, let's summon a demon. And, and I love that they, you know, there, there even is like one kid who, same with soror, uh, sorority babes, because the premise of that, I always laugh at where it's just like, all the kids agree that they're going to get a wish from like the, uh, the, 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 the trophy bowling alley, uh, <laughs> goblin who comes to life. And the one, the one kid goes, well, maybe we shouldn't do the wishes. You know, sometimes I've heard you do wishes and the wishes go bad and they're like, shut up. What are you talking about? And with this one, it's the same thing. They're just like, you know, I've I've messed around with this a little bit before. I think the one guy's like, you know, my daddy was a preacher and I know better than to be in here fooling with this stuff. This is a house of the dead and I'm getting out of here before it's too late. But they're like, no, 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 no. We are going to summon some demons and 
they the demon is what breaks the mirror because during the seance that they're giving, I think it's it's a Stooges girl, Helen, who he just constantly is abusive towards. <laughs> she sees a demon killing her in the mirror and screams and it breaks it. And uh, Stooge is just, yeah, yelling like you can't take this bitch anywhere. She's just like flipped out. <laughs> and the camera work does, I think, in the second half, because when they reveal because the first half is really again, it's really just teens being nasty to each other. It's a hangout movie, but no one likes hanging out with one another. They're all just kind of yeah. like poking at each other. And it totally shifts when the demon gets unleashed and you get like these POV sort of like evil dead cam shot tracking shots of it, like moving around the house, like looking for someone to possess. And you do get like some pretty cool maneuvers where the camera actually starts like doing this wide angle, like kind of close-ups on each one being like, mm-hmm. yeah, who's who, who can take me? And so th- there's stupid jokes in it. Like one guy that when the camera gets close to him, cause the demon's getting close to him, he's like, Oh man, who cut the cheese? Yeah. <laughs> Something stinks in here, you know? Yeah. And, yeah they also do uh that it's like that uh that 70s show um camera move when they're in the circle right and they they just kind of spin in the middle uh i i i can't i think that's when they're deciding what to do next if i'm not mistaken but it's yeah there's some some cool little camera movements in there and i do really like like you were saying josh the the demon part um that it he he basically just once he's unleashed from the uh the furnace um, it, it goes through the entire house in POV and it's very much mm. like him sprinting the entire time. And I did, I did like that. It had that kind of, I guess, evil dead effect a little bit. Well, and I also like when it finally lands in Linnea Quigley and like, it's that like, again, camera work where it's like up close and it pulls out and she's like, mm-hmm. and then like, and then she immediately changes tone to like, she's great. Like, I honestly probably you were talking about her earlier. I probably have seen more movies with her than any other actor or actress <laughs> in, yeah, in, too, maybe in at history. This point. <laughs> um, and she she's just so good. And like she's so good at that, like menace that, you know, like there's like she turns into like sort of a, a, a blank slate a little bit, you know, but there's like that underlying menace to the way she's like. You know, her voice gets even like she kind of deepens her voice a little bit. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great how that lands and she's the perfect one to be like the first one to turn yeah yeah totally and then she's starting like they have a lot of the um that kind of teen sex drama stuff in it where like the two leads for instance so there's a her- lot of horny teens getting lost and locked in rooms in this <laughs> yeah second half. yeah and, and it's basically like with linea i think she seduces both um the uh the big guy uh i think what's her line she says something like i'm in the mood for pork tonight or something like that (laughs) (laughs) which is just hilarious um and then of course she uh tries to and successfully does have sex with uh the the uh, judy's boyfriend um because they're kind of having that whole like you know he's he's the good guy until they try to have sex and then and then she's like i don't want to do that and he's like well you've had sex with other guys so uh you know just do it with me that whole that whole teen drama kind of thing um but they use it to a, a fun effect when it gets to him and linea so I did. I did overall enjoy it, even though it, it, it is very stooped in like the cliches that we're very aware of in this genre, and uh, I guess like the teenage stuff. Yeah, it, it's helped a bit by taking that to the kind of body horror extremes that it's trying yeah. to do. Like when Quigley is getting all splotchy and stretchy, and there is that really bizarre moment that I've never seen in a movie before, where she just shoves her lipstick into her nipple, yeah, and it that's just disappears. Wild. 
Yeah, and, and I was it's like, a good effect because, like, you know, like, like we said, I guess the guy fell in love when he was doing that makeup, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and and I, I gotta say, like, it, it looked very real, uh, actually. So yeah, it was it was a good effect. I've never seen that definitely in a movie before. And it's yeah, such and, a and weird choice. Like, what? I, I, it's one of those ones that, like, <laughs> every time I watch it, I'm like, I'm not really sure what the thought process here was, but it's cool. Like, it's really neat. Like, it's just one of those things that, like. We're gonna shove a, a stick of lipstick into this character's nipple, and like we, <laughs> and we have be we, because we can. Yeah, exactly. We've got the makeup artist to pull it off. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so for for me, when it got to the second half, there was definitely there was a little bit uh, too much of kids just like wandering these rooms and just kind of like being irritating and you know what you you kind of waiting for them event like the monster to eventually kind of like find and brutally kill them mm -hmm. and because for me it was just it wasn't the monster stuff just wasn't really tethered much to any kind of like narrative or psychology or necessarily kind of like mood to it so i was kind of i spent a lot of that section waiting for the kids to as we see eventually get naked and then die brutally <laughs> like that's where the slasher element comes in like even yeah. the, the the nice kids they just decide that they're gonna get super horny and have sex inside of a coffin and i was like oh so while she's riding him in the coffin of course stooge has to come up and you know dismember the one and stomp them to death with the coffin and everything right so because I, I saw some comparisons before watching it to like stuff like Evil Dead, and I was like, man, this doesn't quite have that uh, nonsensical anarchy to it. The material is much closer to, I don't know, if I had to think of other films, like I guess like Chopping Mall or like Night of the Creeps, maybe a yeah. little bit, I, you could say, of like Demons, the the uh, the Bava. Um, and, and, but I will say I do the, a lot of the goop and gore by the VFX artist, Steve Johnson here and the synth score, really I will good. say too, by Dennis Michael Tenney, who I, I, I didn't look this up, but I'm going to guess he's Kevin's brother, the director, yeah. um, because he did most of his movies as well as like a bunch of like other soundtrack work, including like mixing and sound effects for other films like surf and the surf and turf song from steve wang's uh direct -to video action banger drive from so 1997 good. which by the way which we just watched with our uh patrons live last month at the virtual screening and i was like damn look at these look at these connections it's because the, the music is cool and i think that that the effects and the music really carried it through the second half because like at, and you know as jamie mentioned too there was some like technically accomplished sequencing one of my favorite scenes yeah. was the one that jamie mentioned which was just angela doing her little seductive dance in front of the fireplace to uh, Bauhaus's stigmata martyr and doing like a full 360 degree shot of her making out with stooge with the fireplace in the background before biting his tongue off and having the blood yeah. gush everywhere. And it gets, it's cool too. Cause the camera kind of gets closer and closer to them as it circles and it gets faster and faster until the demon transformation kind of fully takes place or at least is unveiled to uh Oh, stooge. So yeah, I, I did. I thought that that was really cool. Well, and it does that too. Like this is where Saul, you know, Saul's watching this and he's like, you know, he immediately pieces out because he realizes that something weird is going on. And I love that stooge just fucking falls for it immediately. Like it works <laughs> yeah. so hard on him. He just comes down and he's like, yeah, let's make out. <laughs> yeah, he's There's ready obviously to go. something wrong. <laughs> something <Yeah>. wrong here. <laughs> yeah. There's also, there's something, um, I, I, 
there there are moments of when they they use more of like the supernatural elements that I did enjoy, like when uh, the one guy gets his arm severed. Um, she uh, Judy finds it eventually in the same room, of course, and it kind of like grabs onto her and and tries to you know pull on her and everything like that, just to totally detached from the body. I do wish that there were a little bit more of those elements because I think like what Josh was saying that most of it is more so like. Uh, slasher stuff um which i was just I, I i mean it's effective and it's good it, it's just i wasn't uh, expecting that from like demons attacking people i guess for a lot of it because i think even the uh the 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 kill that happens with the boyfriend and girlfriend in, in the coffin besides the severed arm part is just like he i think he just, he just snaps, snaps her, her neck. neck yeah something like yeah. that yeah. yeah not before of course we uh, us finally seeing her breasts of course which of is course. makes it even the slasher <laughs> connection just even more i was like okay that's like a friday the 13th moment <laughs> yeah definitely without the double impalement yeah it's very friday the 13th well, one part that i just jumping back real quick to one part we were talking about the part with jay and suzanne having sex i think she's really the part where she's like I always put myself in the situation where, like, if you were having sex with somebody, all of a sudden they were like, "Don't look at me." You like how you would react? <laughs> yeah. like it's 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 creepy. Like it builds up to that very well. All of a sudden, it's like something's mm. very wrong here. When she's like, "Don't look at me," obviously. Oh, she it, she's got like pus boils all over her face. Yeah, and, all of a sudden, you know. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very well done. But um, Max, I think his name's Max, and I can't remember the girlfriend's name that get killed in the there. I think their deaths are one of those ones that like I that are. Yeah, they're weak. It's it's very slasher material, like a neck breaking and then getting his arm severed by the coffin lid is is below because I think there's some creative deaths in this movie. Uh, but yeah. that's that's not one of them. And it does feel yeah. I'll give you that. It feels like you're watching a slasher film at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like the, 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 the Linnea Quigley one is like her like she's having a blast in the mo I think the performance helps, too. Like she's clearly having a blast in the monster makeup and just like, yeah. you know, terror. Even when she gets to run around and terrorize Judy and she's like, run, Judy, run. And, you mm -hmm. know, just, you know, getting a little bit more animated with her performance or actually not even maybe not even that much more animated. She's pretty animated with the opening line where she's talking <laughs> about the guys having sour balls. And she's like, it's because you guys don't get blowjobs or whatever. I can't remember exactly what it is, but she's, you know but she's she's definitely like she feels like she's the one who's really leaning into what the movie is and so it's it's a good um yeah, you know her match Angela. for her to get the the best transformation sequences that are taking place yeah and i do like the way they um they they show like the aftermath of bodies like the one with helen i thought was legitimately pretty gruesome where her body just kind of like falls onto the windshield when Roger's in the car hiding away and it there's just a big right. like splat of blood <laughs> in her face just right on the glass and uh they, they don't they don't hold back from that so I I do like a lot of the the like aftermath of people discovering the bodies afterwards it is rather gruesome and I I, I did enjoy that one <laughs> of my favorite parts of this is that there's very little uh, I guess like narrative reason or like narrative sense to it so much so that by the time they get around to finally having to explain what happens, there's like no reason for them to come to the conclusions that they've come to really. It's a very <laughs> funny sequence where there's like a, there's like a rooftop set piece where Sal gets hurled off by the roof by Angela and gets like impaled below which she does get a funny line about where she's like, uh, he decided to stick around. I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and then it shows and, the, uh, the, the gravestone and it says like died tonight or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that that was pretty yeah. funny. 
and and Judy and Roger are the last two who have like n- not been brutally murdered or you know like demonized like turned into demons. Yeah. And they they try hiding out in the crematorium and Judy is finally like you know what? This is all happening I bet because they it's Halloween. They can't go to hell tonight, right? This is a special <laughs> night of evil or something. Isn't that what Halloween is? Yeah. I bet yeah. that that's why this is happening. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, we just this is such a funny dawn. thing to include. It's just like, yeah, about like an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. They're like, yeah, you know, I guess I, I guess so. I guess that's the premise of the movie. She's saying yeah. it. <laughs> She's just kind well, of uh, it, it, I, I don't think she finds any like artifact or anything that that lose her in or anything like that she's just kind of like well it's halloween and the sun's coming up so maybe that's when it will end and well and, and, yeah and, and and someone someone i think said like a quote earlier or something that she mm. cites where she's just like uh i, I think it, i think it was roger or something who was talking about his you know religious upbringing or something like that okay yeah um, we need to talk more about roger because roger is Roger might be the smartest character in the movie, even though he's a huge coward. Like he knows immediately, like I'm getting out of this place. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, yes. I, like that's his concern. Like, I, and, and like the part of the crematorium is very funny because when that's going on, she's like figuring this out. And meanwhile, he's Jeremy Davies from saving private Ryan in the corner. Like he's like literally yes. on the ground cowering, <laughs> like, like close to sucking his thumb, but and he she's gets made the funniest- like a homemade flamethrower. Yeah. It's very funny. funny. <laughs> He gets the funniest part in the movie when he's like, they're not going to catch me. And he just leaps out of the window. Like that is <laughs> that, such that funny- was the biggest laugh for me because it was so funny. <laughs> we're like, like, I'm out, you know. Yeah, the, the, the monsters are coming in. They're like, open the door, Raj. We don't want you. We just want the bitch. You know, we don't, you know, blah, blah. And they're, they're, they're going off on him. And they're basically being surrounded like zombie movie style at, at this point. And yeah. Roger just yells that, yeah, you, you won't get me. And just cut to a huge stunt shot of him diving headfirst through a glass window. And I was, for some reason, that cut, it was almost like, like, I was almost Zucker Brothers shit, man. Like I was yeah. like, what? Like this guy just was like, yep, huge stunt. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, okay, I guess I'll just use this open window now. <laughs> oh my well, god. There's some great makeup effects too when everybody's come back as demons. And my favorite one is Jay with his gouged out eyes and he's crying, but it's blood pouring out in teardrops. Oh, like that's yeah. cool. That's cool. That's very inspired. Yeah, and it is really good. Like, it doesn't look... Sometimes when they do that kind of face makeup, you can kind of see the the bulge a little bit of where it would be, but it actually does legitimately look like he's crying blood. It is it, it is a great effect. I Most also like the... Don't, what's this. the matter? Don't you like your blind date? <laughs> 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 Gotta get some demon puns in there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the demons just love making puns, and they love <laughs> doing body horror. That's their, that's their main <laughs> qualities. And they just love coming out on halloween they just love having the same with the kids that's just it's just a party night for them yeah um and it leads into a finale where they have to like climb up some like barbed wire rope at one point yeah, it's like, a, like you it's know, like cr- the last challenge or something as if the demons yes. were like if you can get over this barbed wire fence <laughs> then we'll let you deserve you go. to get away <laughs> yeah yeah because <laughs> it seems very it, it's it's set up almost like rock climbing like when you go to one of those places and it's got the colored like uh uh, stones that you have to climb up to the top, but instead it's just barbed wire. <laughs> well, and it works out. So like if they, <laughs> there's two things that they need to do survive till the day or get over that fence because under the fence, there's the underground stream and they can't cross water. But right. like it times up in a way that like 
they, they, they jump over the fence, but it doesn't matter because the suns come up like the exact second they fly over the fence and get to the safety of the underground stream where they can't cross. The sun comes up anyway. So it's one of those things where it's like, it's, <laughs> it's sort of pointless that they even climb the fence. If they could have just held their ground for another like 10 seconds, instead of climbing the barbed wire, they probably would have been okay too. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of doing like two answers at the same time. there. <laughs> yeah. Like, we really took care of the demons, the sun <laughs> and the yeah. stream got them. Yeah. But then they all turn to Ash and they do send the demons effectively uh, back to hell. And they they they've had a wild party night. They you know, they they look like they're doing the walk of shame as they head back into town after the you know, the morning sun has come up. And I do like I I, I love this really dark ending to yeah, it where too. the old man who was berating them uh, or, or they were technically berating earlier in the film, but is now berating them for being out all night because they're a bunch of, you know, sleaze balls. But he goes <laughs> back inside where uh, his 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 old lady has made a fresh pie, fresh apple pie for him to enjoy. And he bites into it and he's just like, mm, you know, this is some good old, some, some good old pie. But <laughs> she's like, he thinks about it for a second. He's like, when did you have time to, to make pie? And he's just like, she's like, well, you know, I had to, you know, do something with all of these apples that you bought. You just, you bought too many. And uh, the razor blades just come cut through his throat and the blood just comes gushing out. It's, it's such, such a long setup for such a huge gag and, and payoff. And it's, it's a very fun way to end the movie. Yeah. And I like the way they, um, like they do the awesome close up of the razor just straight up coming out of his throat and the blood gushing everywhere. But even before that, they do this little thing where it looks like his, um, his veins are kind of like popping out of his neck at first. Like it's, it's popping yes. a vessel of some kind and then, and then it explodes out of his neck. So it's a, it's a cool little setup. Great, great gore effect. And then you just get like a almost, uh, adorable and scarily adorable delivery from the wife who's just like, Happy Halloween, dear. <laughs> after yeah. he's just dead after eating the pie, as if she well, planned it the whole time. It's it's very funny. Yeah, isn't that the insinuation? Is always what I've gathered is that she did this on purpose because he was probably a miserable oh, yeah. old prick. You know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. Like, because at first it is kind of like she's playing the whole ignorant thing, and then she just goes up and straight up is like, "Happy Halloween," and he's already dead. I mean, blood everywhere. So she's very aware of what happened. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a fun gag, and I once again having it be um, like eighty minutes long is, is a is very funny to to not mention the old man whatsoever. They never cut back to him the entire time that they're in the house. It's just kind of this little setup and payoff eighty minutes after the movie starts. So, very funny stuff. Uh, one thing I do want to bring up that we did not get to, and this doesn't—it's not that I wanted to bring up since we just talked about Rob Zombie. I saw this article and I do not remember where it was, but basically about how all of the underground shots in House of a Thousand Corpses with the chase sequence rip off the shots of Angela floating down the hallway in this movie chasing after everyone. And I went and compared and they oh. are like, like, and my rip off might be the wrong word. I guarantee Rob Zombie's probably a fan of this film. Um, yeah. And since his whole thing is like homages, uh, but it's very too. similar. Yeah, right. And it's very similar to like the shots of her from down, you know, low angle shots of her floating in the hall and like on a on obviously on like a gurney or a cart of some sort. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's it was this. I don't and again, I cannot remember. It was some horror mag, you know, horror publication or something that like it wasn't like and it wasn't like 
super accusatory where it was like, you know, he should be, he was plagiarism, but it was like, yeah, these are very similar. And uh, there had to have been a little bit of knowledge that this was being ripped off when he did this going on. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I could imagine that this is something that he likes. It's got that. It's just very violent. And I mean, like we were talking um, and vulgar. That's yeah. Like we were talking when we were talking about the devil's rejects and just zombie in general, like his dialogue is known to just have characters say the most awful perverted disgusting shit to each other even if they're not the bad guys in the movie and uh and this has that through and through uh, a little bit more you know on the juvenile side but it's um it, it's definitely very similar very similar vibes in that sense. well and and put into the mouths because i was like at least with him he's putting it i find he's putting it into the mouths of characters who are horrifically obnoxious in a way that is like, well, they're mass serial killers yeah. with this one. It's just like general kids. It's just like teens. Yeah, like it's, it's almost like, yeah, it, it, it feels just like it's doing like a really mean genre parody of just like teen movies around the time where they're just making them very, very explicitly nasty to one another. And which is which is funny because then the movie, yeah. once again, half the movie is a hangout movie with these kids who feel like they don't intentionally don't have chemistry with one another they're just like you know they don't they don't have fun at all together they just want (laughs) to tear each other apart which then i guess is eventually expressed when this goes from halloween party comedy to you know like a straight up you know uh demons gore gags uh style film yeah yeah 100 percent. and i i have to also mention um the the credit song where it's like this soft and hard 80s rock song uh, that very much feels more in line of like satire and stuff. And I, there's even a line in it where it's just like, gonna face the beast tonight down to the last man, the beast, <laughs> like that kind of shit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's having a lot of fun with, uh, with itself. It's, it's, it's not something to be taken seriously. And it, it dives into that over and over and over again. It's very juvenile, but in a fun way. And, and that's what makes it to me such a fun movie. Like that's part of the reason that I love this so much is because it's in line with like, uh, you know, another Halloween movie that I love, like that. I think that I think really nails the essence of Halloween is trick or treat the, the anthology. And you know, that's a, it's, Oh, it's great. And, and now I'm not, I mean, trick or treat. If I were ranking these, I would, as much as I love night of the demons, I can't argue that like, there's like a huge comparison quality wise, because trick or treat is just incredible. But, but like, that fun aspect of trick or treat, I think is something you need for Halloween. Like a Halloween movie can't be, I don't know. It just, it, cause Halloween's a fun holiday. It's about celebrating yeah. scary stuff. And like, there's gotta have that fun aspect. So like the comedy and the fun is what makes this a yearly visit for me on Halloween without, without question. Like it's the, the comedy works really well in this, I think. Yeah. This is a great, uh, I would say like, uh, Halloween party movie for sure. Like I, I would, I would put this on with um, like that one we talked about last year, Josh, we already mentioned the midnight hour, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's more like as violent and depraved as it can be. It, it's, it's kind of like lighthearted in what it's doing in a sense. Uh, and, um, and yeah, there's yeah that's what's sort of interesting that, that, that it, it feels like it should be lighthearted, but the characters don't <laughs> behave like that's the kind of movie they're in, yeah. which is sort of like <laughs> does create this uh, interesting kind of contradiction when you're watching just like yeah. you feel like you're having like a like a goofy fun time with kids running around a house Scooby Doo style. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, a, you know, naked girl who's covered in pus boils is gouging out another character's <laughs> eyeballs and you're seeing right. it all happen on screen and you're just like oh god okay i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah um, absolutely that's a good idea yeah, for a if, double oh i'm sorry 
Oh, no, go ahead. I was gonna, that's a great idea for a double feature, too, because it's one I hadn't even considered. Midnight Hour is a blast, and I think because Midnight Hour is a TV movie. So to me, I don't mm-hmm. think about like how these would pair together because Midnight Hour is a, a much more innocent film than this one is. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah. yes. you're right, though. Like They would be a good double feature. Like, that would be a great pairing. Um, they're, they're very fun. Midnight Hour is a blast. It is a very enjoyable movie, too. So yeah, uh, I agree. Next year, I may have to run that double feature. Yeah, that'd be sweet. That'd be a fun yeah, one. Yeah, no, we just need Midnight Hour to be available on a 4K disc, you know, because I think when yeah. we watched it last year, it was only available on like YouTube or something like that. And it yeah. was like not a very not a particularly good transfer of it. But yeah, yeah, no, that would be a fun double feature. And I think if we're pivoting towards a reductive rating round on this one, this one gets a gets a pretty decent three from me. I think I, I definitely in the early goings, I was surprised at how just like how much it was leaning into the exaggeratedly sort of almost satirical, corny, horny, horribleness of the entire thing. Because <laughs> uh, I could I could see the reference points. Like I was seeing demons. I was seeing, yeah. you know, other things, that other horror comedies we've talked about, like Night of the Creeps and Chopping Mall. And, you know, especially some of the mean spirited uh, deaths that take place in, in those Um but uh, I was I was eventually won over just by I think like I, I do enjoy the way that it's shot. I do enjoy the synth soundtrack to it and the the makeup effects. I think it's so committed and there's so much glee in the sort of like, you know, in the clear making of the film that mm-hmm. that I found a little bit more infectious, uh, especially with the uh, two performances by Amelia Kincaid and Linnea, Quig- Linnea Quigley, who are playing Angela yeah. and Suzanne. They get to just have a blast when they get to turn into demons. And, and I mean, they're honestly having a bit of a blast before, like like Amelia Kincaid yeah. is definitely, you know, she's she's chewing a bit as like the, the the goth girl who gets to like dance around and and stuff like that. And yeah, when, when they eventually get to transform and they take these, you know, these very clear, nasty feelings all these kids have for each other, but they just do it through the body horror. That was the strongest stuff for me. And I thought that that stuff, uh, you know, was uh, was was pretty well done. The only thing for me is that the whole thing is just it's a, it's a intentionally so, I think. But it's very, very light. And mm. it's it's one of those things where, like, there's there's not much else to really get off of it other than it's clearly just doing a genre mashup parody that the filmmakers kind of wanted to all throw into a bit of an amalgamation and i i think they did it pretty solidly but there's it's it's pretty loosely held together i think yeah yeah i could i could see that um yeah i'm in the, i think i'm in the like strong three territory i think this is something that i'll go back to on some halloweens and and have a really good time with because it's just it's very simple it is exactly what it's set up to be it's you know teenagers go into a haunted place demons take over and they start killing each other it's it, and and to make them you know super juvenile and mostly unlikable i uh, i think really helps when the bodies start piling up <laughs> so uh yeah I, I had a lot of fun with the satire and it is very lovingly made i always love that I, you know when you can just see it on screen that they gave a shit and uh, and we're working really hard in the makeup effects and, and are kind of well versed still in the genre itself. Like um, it, you can't make this kind of parody without knowing the genre itself. And I think it, it shines. No, through, there's so. definitely a way lazier version of this movie. Yeah, that could have existed out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. So so strong three for now. Uh, and yeah, I think this could this could get in the rotation. It's it's a lot of fun. And I'm going to check out the uh, the second and third one second one apparently is decent so that'd be fun to just see more i i'm just i don't know how like 
much they're going to expand on this. I imagine it's just kind of like the same thing, but with different kills, uh, which I am totally here for. So that is what part two is. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you want to see a lazy version of this, watch the remake with Edward Furlong in it. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's here's the well, thing. I, it, I, might, I might do that. I kind of want to see. Yeah. It's not even that it's terrible. Honestly, it's not even that it's like some awful, like I have absolutely seen worse, uh, from that era, but um, it just was one of those, like, they didn't, they literally did nothing to, like, improve, and it's, like, everything that I like about the original, they really didn't do, but it, I would never mm. argue that it was, like, terrible. I really don't think the remake was terrible, but, uh, yeah, if you want to watch one, you know, stick with one and two, um, three, you really don't have to watch three, is not very good, but if you're a completionist, you can. And uh, it is uh, Amelia that sticks with the, the series the whole time, right? I believe, yeah, Angela's Angela. In- yeah. Yep. That's yep. kind of cool. Yep. I, I always do like consistency in sequels. It it kind of bums you out when you when you see like two and three and four and and no one is involved at all in the in the next two or three. You know, so that's cool. And her her facial makeup gets like increasingly more fucked up looking with <laughs> like each sequel. Um, so for me, this is a four. Like this is unquestionably nice. a, a four. I and one thing I will say, Jamie, I like hearing you say that um, you're going to come back to this one because. Yeah. When I part, I guess something that I left out here when I went, you know, you're asking about like my history with this movie and VHS USA up all night. Well, there was quite a long time between the VHS era, VHS era and the up all night era. And like when this got a DVD release. So it had been when I got it on DVD, it had been quite a while since I'd seen it. And watching it for that first time, I was kind of like a little underwhelmed. I, I liked it. I probably was in the same mm-hmm. boat. I was like, it's a three. It feels light. Um, and it was, wasn't until I came back and watched it again, you know, a year or so later that I was like, no, this is just as fun as I remembered it being. And like, it just, it hit well for me that time. And that's when it ended up, like I said, becoming a, a regular for me every Halloween. Yeah. But, um, I feel just, like, uh, like, I feel like if I watched it, I watched it with my brother and we had a really good time watching it, but I feel like in a room with like eight to 10 people and you're listening to the line, um, eat a bowl of fuck, let's party <laughs> would get like a huge reaction. You know what I mean? So hearing to half of them react to the, fir- for the first time to that yeah. l- lipstick, just going into that nipple and being like, where the fuck did that go? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> what was that even doing there? Like, yeah, exactly. So, um, is that, is sure. that where they put those? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This whole time I thought it was just the bra crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's there, there's a lot of, of fun to be had for sure. Yeah, and like I said, the biggest thing for me is that it like it hits that. Yeah, I could watch this. I could watch this not at Halloween and kind of get that like Halloween feeling from this if I watched it in like February. Even you know, it's that sort of that itch for this season that I love so much, which is another reason that my rating is is as high as it is probably. But yeah, it's a four mm-hmm. for me. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for Night of the Demons. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about Nightbreed. Stick around. What chance have we got? They're armed. So am I. Out of your deepest fears and your darkest fantasies, Clive Barker brings you a startling new breed of adventure. I won't let you down. Nightbreed. At last, the night has a hero. Outstanding. All right, we are back and we are talking Nightbreed, the 1990 dark fantasy horror epic written and directed by Clive Barker and based on his 1988 novella called Cabal, 
And I think this is our second time doing Clive Barker because previously uh, we have talked about Hellraiser. And for anyone unfamiliar with Clive Barker, he is a horror novelist and comic book artist and short story writer um, who is uh, very well known for his uh, horror writing that frequently uses things like urban legends and uh incest and sexuality (laughs) and self-mutilation and all kinds of crazy shit that translates very gruesomely to the screen obviously uh probably most famously in his own adaptation um hellraiser which was an adaptation of his hellborn uh hellbound heart novella that he did himself even which we did do an episode on and talked about at length about how it's crazy that that's a debut film and that he was like not a technically proficient filmmaker when he made that because it just such has such a very unique and gross sensibility and vibe to the entire thing that's just so immediately you know his own erotic gory universe that's just amazing to watch and so many people have tried to do their own version of it since like they obviously continued the Hellraiser into a a series into a massive franchise and they also adapted uh, Candyman which was adapted Mm -hmm. from one of his stories from his uh, Books of Blood collection but yeah Clive Barker is a very interesting guy to be making what is here kind of like a fantasy action film and uh it 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 leads to some pretty bizarre results that i'm excited to get into yeah he i mean he's kind of like when it comes to genres it's all over the place in this in this film and and in a very entertaining way like starting off with more of the the slasher element with what we eventually find out is, um, you know, Cronenberg's doctor, but he's got this, like, he, he almost looks like a monster initially too, with the, with the button eyes mask and the zipper for the mouth and all of that. And just kind of like the, the long black trench coat and everything. So, speaking so that, of genre mashup, like you have a fantasy film, you have a slasher film, you have a, you know, sort of like freaks and monsters kind of film yeah. going on uh, all all at once. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it very loosely follows this uh, uh, character by the name of Aaron Boone, uh, played by Craig Sheffer, who is a... Uh, how to describe Aaron Boone. I do love that everyone just calls him Boone, um, which I wasn't exactly yeah. sure why they all did, but nobody calls him by his, his first name. Um, but he is just rocking the blue jeans and the black leather biker jacket. And he is a steel worker in Calgary who is seeing a psychotherapist by the name of Dr. Philip Decker played by Canadian horror legend, David Cronenberg. And I do like this takes place also in, in Canada, which I wasn't exactly mm. sure why I'm going to guess for budgetary reasons, but Clyde Barker is uh, very British as we talked about a lot during uh, Hellraiser. Uh, mm. Cause we were like, man, the Brits are freaks for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of those rare movies where you can hardly believe like what your eyes are watching, even on, on rewatches Hellraiser. I got to say that movie just like gets under my skin, everything about it. And in terms of the genre stuff, it's like, is it a cosmic sadomasochistic body horror film? Is it, a, is it an erotic Fulci movie? You yeah. know, I don't know what it is, uh, but pain is pleasure. And uh, the, the, <laughs> the intensity and the grotesqueness and the, the unrelenting bleakness of it just really, uh, really d- does something for me. And I was surprised watching this, that this is a much nicer film in an interesting yeah. way. But like, like, like I read that when Barker started this one out, he was basically like monsters 
uh, I kind of think that they're they're cool guys. You know, we we all uh, <laughs> yeah. we all envy them in some way. We kind of want to be them. Wouldn't it be cool to like fly around or live forever or you know like that kind of thing? And so he literally was like, I want to make a monster movie, but about how the monsters are nice and the humans are the ones hunting them down and killing them, and you will kind of want to identify with the monsters. So when he got I'm guessing Hellraiser was a pretty decent success because for some reason he got five times the budget of Hellraiser to make this. This is like a 11 or 12 million dollar movie. And it is essentially and we'll get into it here with with Eric. But like this is essentially like a queer horror fantasy Mm -hmm. epic that he described as when he was making it as his Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) So just imagine the Hellraiser guy got to make his Star Wars. That's what we're talking about today. (laughs) <laughs> and I feel like the the themes, the the essential theme of this, the or the you know, there's a lot of thematically, there's a lot of this that has to do with like coming out of the closet. And, you know, he is he has talked mm-hmm. about that in interviews and stuff before. And, um, you know, it, it's not it's not very subtle. Like it's I feel like it's it's pretty upfront with the whole like monsters and like Boone learning to accept who he is. And yeah, it's Barker. I think Barker is a. I'm a huge fan of his writing. His work, Books of Blood, is great. You know, the only movie of his that I can do on my show, and it's one that I absolutely love, is uh, Midnight Meat Train, which he didn't direct, but he... Oh, yeah. That's, like, the only movie of his, I believe, that has a soundtrack, but uh, one that I absolutely want to cover at some point, just to be able to talk about Clyde Barker on my show, because... I'm a huge fan of his work. I think that he is a, an extremely talented guy. And uh, you were talking about him being British. I don't know if you've heard him talk recently, but the cigars are really doing a number on his throat. Um, he sounds oh. it's uh, even on Midnight Meat Train commentary. He is like, I mean, it is like this, like he's <laughs> like polyps in his throat and shit. Um, oh, damn. It's it's really bad. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. And sometimes when a, a thematically something is a little too on the nose it can make me but this movie's so fun that i can kind of like you know sometimes it's a little bit like okay you know it doesn't have to be so in your face it could be a little more subtle but like i don't give a shit with this movie because it is such a fun movie all around that like be as be as unsubtle as you'd like with the themes that you're trying to present to us here i i love this movie so much (laughs) yeah he's definitely um that is something I found interesting about the film is that it was it's pretty spelled out for you throughout. Like there, there's a lot of monsters explaining exactly how like the world works and just kind of like their 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 issue with the humans. And, you know, obviously you have to explain that stuff, but it, it is very um, just like to the point I found, uh, strangely enough. Um, I was expect I was almost expecting it to be a little bit stranger in plotting it is very strange just in the sense of how many directions it goes into but um i i I was surprised at how just uh simple that the information's dished out yeah well i mean i was really taken with i'll say specifically like probably the opening half hour or so of the film because it, it mm, it's a very yeah. subversive approach where we just follow this guy who's going to a psychotherapist and uh, it's cross-cut with these pretty creepy, like, murder-slasher set pieces of a man, as Jamie mentioned, with button eyes and, like, a zipper mouth going into people's houses and just brutally killing, like, a kid's parents in front of him. And these, like, very creepy wide-angle lens shots of him, like, slitting their throats and, mm-hmm. you know, and and it as we find out, but I like that they kind of, they're a little coy with it in the opening half hour, it is... 
this very ambitious premise of David Cronenberg is actually the killer. So his psychotherapist is actually a serial killer who is using his clients, um, you know, dreams that he's having because Aaron Boone, every time, every night he goes to sleep and he has these images in his mind of this monster city called Midian where there is lots of fog and fences and monsters running around. And he's been describing this at length for months to his therapist played by David Cronenberg. And so he looks at this and he goes, wow, this is a great tool for me because I can set this guy up as a patsy. I can make him seem like he's fucking crazy and that he's imagining monsters and you know, he's, he's living in fear and yeah, maybe he would turn that out and uh, you know, he, he would, kill people so the opening half hour or so of this is just like a guy being set up as a patsy for a serial killer yeah and that is mostly like what what you're watching and it's a it's a really cool like way to do that because in the early goings you know he's just like oh man like i don't i don't have any memory of that but you know we've seen that before like maybe he just blacks out or you know it's just it's one of those things where you know if he if it wasn't david cronenberg getting as meaty of a role as he's getting in here, which I was also kind of surprised of. Very surprised. Um, he's in like half the film. Yeah. He's in a lot of this and he's, yeah. he's, he's chewing a little bit. And it was, it was funny. Like if it wasn't Cronenberg being creepy, I feel like you wouldn't think of it for that long. You'd be like, Oh yeah, maybe this guy is kind of a killer. Maybe his, you know, maybe his dreams and his therapy sessions are, are going wrong and turning into these murder scenes. Like, and he's showing him photos of them and giving him pills and saying, you know, you're going to have to confess to all of this, which leads into the, you know, these sequences where it turns out the doctor has given him LSD and he's like having these hallucinatory scenes where he's burning all of his identifying materials and hallucinating, having sex with his girlfriend while she's giving like a streets of fire style, like glam rock performance at a bar. They do like the full and song too, at least in the director's cut. I'm not sure if in the, they do. Yeah. They break it down, but like it's a, it's a full three and a half minute, uh, <laughs> song, which I, I found I, whenever, a movie does that I, I'm always surprised by just because nowadays it would never ever happen uh, it kind of reminds me of what was that movie we watched with uh, um, it was by Pion and it had like a couple oh, uh, radioactive dreams yeah yeah just anytime that happens I think back to that film or just kind of like that era just a music video exists in yeah. universe for about like three minutes yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's so bizarre that karaoke, yeah the, the karaoke scene actually to answer that question doesn't exist at all in the oh. theatrical cut um, and one other difference in the theatrical cut, as much as you like Cronenberg's screen time here, he's even more of a focus in the theatrical cut. Like oh, there's even wow. more Cronenberg in the theatrical. Well, yeah, because I read that they tried to play it up, that it was like more of a slasher because they liked the, because right, the, the yeah. marketing team and the executives really liked the idea of like, well, slashers make money. So that was the whole thing is that it, from what I understand, they tried to cut down at once some of the uh thing you know some of the drama but they tried to include how much of the fantasy stuff did they leave in like the lore just out of curiosity because because jamie There's and i were watching for the first time and we DC. watched the director's cut but um eric went back to the theatrical cut so we could kind of discuss this at length but like the the reason these two cuts exist is because the studio was like we don't really get what this movie is and Barker <laughs> says that the people who were in charge of like actually even marketing the film they actually refused to watch the film 
that they were basically just like, what the, this guy made a disaster. He made a weird movie. We they were just kind of grossed out by it. We don't even, we don't care. Yeah. And they were told from up top that, okay, yeah, now this is cut, cut as much of the violence as you can, but also now market this as a slasher. So when this came out, it was basically a disaster. Like, and, and it, yeah, it's not to say that like it, watching a trailer where it just shows like it's a giallo or a slasher or something. And then you see all of these different, like deformed monsters at a certain point, especially when he gets into Median and it's like just a, an ex- like a, a expansive set piece of every single monster design that they could come up with. Um, it would really take a turn if that was all the marketing that you took in. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us, Eric, what's, what's the other stuff that was like more, more emphasized in the theatrical? Well, the lore is mostly there. That's the thing. Okay. They did keep most of the lore there. Like the, the, the berserkers, the Baphomet, that stuff's all present in the theatrical cut as well. See, and it had been a long time. So <laughs> I first saw this movie when it came out, like literally I was 10 when I first saw this movie. And I will say one thing. As far as the slasher marketing goes, uh, that's a little bit on Clive Barker because if he didn't want it to be marketed as a slasher film, he shouldn't have given Decker the coolest fucking mask I've ever seen it anyone wear. And it's like, it, it's <laughs> honest to it. God that that mask is responsible, even though he's not a scarecrow. And like that mask, I think, is partially responsible for the fact that I, even now at 42 years old, am slightly uneasy about scarecrows because it has <laughs> like a scarecrow sort of look to it. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. like. I can understand why they were like, we've got this character, let's run with this. But the lore is mostly present. Um, they they cut little bits down, but anything that, like, you get the thrust of what Midian is. You understand what the the struggle that the, the Nightbreed, as you would, you know, the monsters, quote unquote, of Midian are dealing with. So that is all very present. They just mostly cut a lot of, like, extraneous stuff out. Um, you know, uh, there's like a, 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 the, at the very beginning, there's the, Dream sequence is cut out. The dream sequence that he has, um, oh, the whole okay. part where she sings is cut out. So it's mostly just character building in the front half that they cut out of the film. But the Nightbreed stuff is all very present in the theatrical cut. So, but it just does feel like there's well, something. And I'm missing. assuming that the set, some of the set piece stuff was trimmed for graphicness. <laughs> yes, yes, they cut that. Uh, they, they, but they, I mean, all the, they just made the thrust more the 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 main thrust of this is. Decker versus Boone in the theatrical, whereas in this, it's more Boone trying to, you know, help the Nightbreed break free from the chains of human start a revolution, like get up all the way up top, you know, that kind of deal. Yes, and it throws that shit all away at the end, you know, the end. And I will, once we get through the movie, I'll explain the differences in the ending. But like, as far as that question goes, yeah, the lore itself is not very changed in the in the theatrical cut. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, because because we we really get into that stuff when, you know, he is, you know, thinks that he's a murderer. He's tripping on LSD that, you know, Cronenberg gave him telling him that it was lithium and (laughs) he gets nailed by a truck and he ends up in a hospital where there's another man who's raving there about directions to Midian. And it's the first confirmation that someone else out in the world believes that this is like a real tangible place and not just something he's experiencing in his dreams. And that guy, very Clyde Barker style, proceeds to uh, prove his his worth to this journey to Midian by giving him directions and then tearing his scalp off because Barker (laughs) just fucking, he loves a skinless man. And... (laughs) Um, 
this guy shows his his true monster self because they have to, you know, go there and they have to, you know, uh, kind of earn their way in by being monsters. So he makes his way to this graveyard because he he thinks that the city of Midian is beneath this graveyard and his traveling there. I'll say, too, you can tell this was shot in in Alberta. There's some pretty amazing sort of like landscape vistas and stuff as they're going uh, through there. And also some really nice like map painting work, too, oh, of yeah. like the entire graveyard and stuff like there's some really solid just like like big, like bigger budget analog effects being done in this film, which is just very surprising because, you know, like like Hellraiser for for as much as I, I think that it's like a, a good looking movie for what it is. You know, it's it was very clearly a first time director's film and you kind of yeah. get the vibe through the production design and the makeup and everything about it. Whereas, you know, this you can see him putting a lot of effort into doing paintings and doing landscapes and, you know, and, and still doing a lot of the makeup and stuff that he does. Cause when he eventually does get to Midian, you know, there is a, uh, we will say a lot of effects work being done, including miniatures and like crazy under subterranean bases just filled with monsters everywhere. Yeah. Like it's it, like, it feels as if nuts. I don't know how many you actually see if you were to count, but it feels as if you see like hundreds of different monsters in this movie, which is really, really <clears throat> impressive. And they all have very individual designs a lot of the time. Um, some that, that go more with like what you'd be used to someone walking around and then others that are completely like blobs, almost similar to what you'd see in society or something like that. So it kind of goes yeah. all over the place, which is, which is really cool. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that like, I'm always struck by and this is how you said exactly how I feel that there are, first of all, it, it ignores the number one rule of monster movies, which is show the monster as little as possible. Like this is, this, <laughs> yeah. this shows it's you the constant. monsters as much as it can. But like, they're all so different who like the, mm-hmm. the makeup effects or the creature effects people in this and the set designs too, like the set designs for Midian and all that. Like it is it in technically such an impressive piece of work from that standpoint that yeah. like they managed to get that much out of. I think yeah, because they could have had like a bunch of monsters who kind of look the same. Like you know, when you're when you're in MIDI and you kind of look a certain way, but no, that's not the case at all. Like everyone looks different. And it gives that that whole, which I guess is kind of like the point of the film too, in a sense, where it's all these different monsters that have kind of just collectively come together because they live the same type of existence, and you know the humans are after them and all of that, so they have to go away and hiding. Uh, which I do kind of, you know, it's kind of like a fun little spin on the whole thing where the monsters are hiding from the humans, that kind of thing. But uh, I, I do like that sense of community that they all have being so different, which I know is definitely a point he's trying to get across. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I like the Heliquin uh, and Kinski when they when he first shows up. Like he, that's your first real taste of the monsters of Midian is when he shows up. And they're two really great ones because you got Peliquin who that part where he does. There are like parts of this that I still remember, like freaking me out as a kid. One of them is the, the murder of the family with Decker and like him oh, walking yeah. up to the, the you left out that he kills a child, by the way. Like he walks yeah. up the stairs to a kid, which is really fucking brutal. And I could imagine the studio being like, what the fuck do we do with this? But that's <laughs> that's kind of the angle they leaned with. But um Peliquin, when he does that, where he's like, he's like shaking his head around and it looks like those like flesh braids on his head are getting longer as he's doing it. Like they're like growing. Yeah. And Kinski looks like the Mac Tonight guy from the McDonald's commercials, but he's kind of like the like the friendly one. But they just right up front, <laughs> the, the two that you see are so distinct looking and they, they're both like 
very present in the film. They're very, very big role. Yeah, the one's got the deformed head and the, the sharpest goatee you've ever seen. He yeah. looks like a little devil almost. Yeah. And yeah. they get a sick line, actually, where he's just like, God's an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian is where the monsters live. Because yeah. he's basically gone here to be like, look, I need to be punished for being a murderer. I'm a monster and my dream, he interprets his dreams as he needs to go there because, you know, he's a monster and he belongs there with them. But they go, well, no. So whoever told you you're a murderer is a liar. You're an innocent and you are a natural meat and fuck the law because the laws tell them that they can't, you know, they have to go take him down to their overlord or whatever. And he's just like, I'm just going to eat this guy. I want the meat. (laughs) But then he, it turns into this big chase scene where he ends up pushed all the way back towards the cops in Cronenberg. And it's one of my favorite moments in this film because it was probably yeah. the moment I was the most shocked by where Cronenberg claims to be like, you know, I'm, I'm his therapist. I, I can talk him down. You know, he so he goes up to him. And he's just like, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you out, man. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get you out of here. And then you just see him go wide eyed and straight up lie and just yell gun back towards the cops and tell them all that, you know, Boone is dangerous. He's about to shoot someone. And they just Boone just gets fucking massacred by a sea of gunfire from these cops and just squibs going everywhere. And I was like, oh, wow. So the protagonist of this film was just shredded by gunfire in the opening 30 minutes and he's dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's I I was like, that's cool. I also like uh, that they like at that point you definitely have to start suspecting Cronenberg's character but he's just like he hey when the, when the cop comes and sees that there was absolutely no gun he's just like hey he reached into his jacket i didn't know what else to do <laughs> it's like just just great solid patient cop work right there um, this is really yeah. funny to me to hear because when i okay so again having seen this movie for 30 i watched this movie over the years you know how many times whatever 30 plus years uh I don't remember my first watch of this and I feel like in yeah, last night I was watching it and I'm like, I feel like the Cronenberg thing is pretty phoned in. So hearing the two of you say that like you were t- caught off guard, because again, I don't remember my first. I'm sure I was the same way where I was like, whoa, he's mm-hmm. you know, he's the killer. But like, I didn't know watching it for this. I was like, maybe it is a little phoned in that like, you know, right away that like Cronenberg because Cronenberg plays this character is such a blank slate. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They yeah. like it almost feels like, OK, but I feel like part of that could be watching it, knowing who Cronenberg is, thinking that maybe Cronenberg's acting chops just aren't that great. But like it's a great performance on his part because he does play that character as like a sociopath. But like, yeah, he's, you- he's definitely creepy. And, and I buy him as someone who's in the, the field of, of medicine and also a, like a freak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. And so yeah. it does play better than I thought, you know, hearing you two saying that, like, that's kind of where you started to realize that, hey, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't trust this guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, that's just it is, is he was giving off bad vibes as a performer, I think. But I think that like in the opening to the direct, especially in, in the when we were watching the director's cut, like I was I was like definitely I I was with the character's shock that mm-hmm. He was like, you know, he thought that maybe he was the killer, but then, you know, clearly something else was kind of was happening. But the exact details of it. So, yeah, I was totally like, you know, I wouldn't say it was like a huge like twist moment. I went, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) But it was definitely like, you know, I didn't upfront. I wasn't like, yeah, no, he's he's the killer. And then I looked at all the log lines where all the log lines were basically like revealing that in them. And I was like, man, was I supposed to know that earlier? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I was I think the reason I was surprised that he would pull that move too was because he kind of needed Boone to keep killing. And even once he continues to kill, I think there's even a certain point when the cops 
uh, are like the the like families are still being killed and people are still being killed, but Boone is dead. So what's going on? And then Cronenberg uh, responds with something like, "Oh, he's actually still alive," uh, and, and that kind of thing. So it, it feels as if like uh, I just I guess I wasn't uh, expecting him to to just dispose of Boone so quickly. Uh, and that was probably where my shock came from. Because I did expect Cronenberg to be bad, because he just kind of gives those vibes off, and he's, if he's going to have like a, a big part in a film like this, I, it, it, it's not surprising that he would be a uh, negative force, but um, yeah, it, it, I, I did find it surprising when that, that cop scene popped off. Yeah, well, there's there, there's also a cool shot of him like lying in the field after that happened, and a really cool like POV shot there attached to the gurney that he's on, like in oh, the mortuary yeah. when he's being when he's being uh, dragged around. Definitely. And because little did, did did his psycho doctor know, but Midian is actually a very real place, and the bite that he got from the uh, monsters that he ran into when he was trying to give himself over to Midian have turned him into Nightbreed, uh, and you know so he. He has uh, awoken and he is undead and he is kind of this monster now. But, you know, he he wants to, uh, you know, be part of it. So he goes and he does a little initiation ceremony where he is uh, touched by the blood of their Lord Baphomet and uh, (laughs) the uh, tribes of the moon embrace him. And, you know, he's uh, he's he's becoming becoming one with them and, uh, you know, deciding that, you know, this could be this could be a new life for him, although his girlfriend, Lori is is still in shock about what happened and isn't quite ready to to let him go you know she's a little confused at at his his <laughs> the exact methods of his parting from her so there is a cool there's a funny little subplot uh where she like b- befriends a woman at a western bar called uh cheryl ann who agrees to drive with her to midian to find out why her dead boyfriend left her and there is this there are these kind of cool sequences where like you know when she like, for example, when Lori gets to Midian, it's the scene where she finds like a wet little hairy creature, yeah. which is like just just on the ground. She like picks it up and she's trying to figure out like why it's kind of in pain. And she she brings it inside to a, you know, one of the um, residents of Midian. And it turns out that it's actually a little girl. And when she's not in the sun and she can be back in in, in her house down below um, you know, she actually recovers and is and is healthy again. And she was just kind of stuck playing in the sun, which is yeah. what you know got got her in in trouble. And she and looks she starts like a finding out about the society. Too, which yes, is, which is uh, interesting, just because she's really like the only one besides um, the uh, I can't remember her name now, but the the woman that kind of seduces people and then kisses them to death, um, w- which is her mother, I believe, um, or at least her caretaker. Uh, but the majority of all the monsters have something that's very uh, strange about their physical appearance. And I kind of liked that hers is once she's exposed to their weakness, that's when she kind of becomes the deformed version of herself. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool little ideas when it comes to how the monsters work themselves. Well, there's also a lot of people being horny for the monsters <laughs> in this movie. Like, humans. Yeah, well, I mean, it's yeah. Clive Barker, you right. know, <laughs> <laughs> got to have some kink in there. well i think i actually think so one of the like if i look as much as i love this movie if i had to give one really valid complaint is that i don't think craig sheffer is very good in this movie um yeah i I don't think so either and bobby as laurie i think is very good like she really does have that like sweet girl thing that like who would stick by him no matter what down like she's very good in this i think performance wise 
all around, it's very good. I just think the big issue might be Craig Sheffer as the lead was not the right fit. But yeah, I think he's like like he has the right look. I just found his delivery to be boring a lot of the time. I did find uh, Laurie's uh, investigation a little bit more intriguing than than his learning about Median and, and the monsters. Um, like when she is initially going down there <clears throat> and sees all the different like she sees the homes and she sees all the different monsters that she's uh, walking uh, past because she's trying to find Boone. Um, I, I found that stuff to be more intriguing, actually, than than Sheffer's stuff. And, and I think most of it was due to the delivery of the performance. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I, I really like uh, another one, too, is uh, hold on. Hugh Ross. I couldn't think of the actor's name. Hugh Ross is Narciss, uh, the guy who cuts his face off. Uh, he gives oh, yeah. a very like he, he is having a blast playing that part. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, definitely. He's he's pretty much like smiling the entire time as he's ripping off his scalp for the first time. And then even when he's he's got the scene where uh, Laurie um, goes into a room and he's dancing with the dead body and he's just like, you know, he's <laughs> talking about having a romantic night and all of that stuff. Like he's he's having an absolute blast. He was a fun character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I kind of like this this pivot to like there are some elements of it that are still like horror esque, obviously like when they go into the, when they go into Midian and there's the subterranean staircase with the snakes and the beasts and, you know, it's cross cutting between that and Cronenberg, you know, uh, still continuing on his murder spree that he's continuing like that, uh, dude who he ties up with Christmas lights and interrogates with him and gets the line. Uh, I'm death plain and simple. Yeah. And And just stabs him right in the torso. Like it's pretty brutal. Or, yeah, or and, even and, and watching, he, um, like when he when we come across Cheryl Ann when Laurie comes back from the monsters. Oh, and her hanging there, yeah, with, yeah. like stabbed into the tree. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. So yeah, they definitely uh, they, they get the horror elements really right with um, mostly the uh, Cronenberg character because uh, a lot of the time with the monsters they really dive more into the the fantasy elements and even when they get to the fighting, which we'll get to with more detail. Um, it's more like action heavy and fantasy heavy than, than horror. Yeah. So I found that interesting. Yeah. Well, cause that's, that's what I kind of enjoy is because it's almost like you get like the more like family friendly version of the, of the Cenobites, like <laughs> yeah. all of these monsters, when they go down there, like they, they find a whole nother world. It is like a, a feat of production design similar to when they open up the 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 cube inside the hellraiser movies and they find all these creatures and they you know they have powers and weaknesses and they get this sort of backstory about how you know they've all been hunted down throughout history like like freaks and there's actually this insanely graphic flashback of like witch burnings and like decapitations and like charred corpses and Mm -hmm. hooded executioners and everything and they basically depict these it's, it's like if the Cenobites were depicted as peaceful creatures who were like hunted into extinction essentially yeah. is what you're kind of getting and with, with, with Midian, which, yeah, which is, which is, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and like, especially when you have like Lori going like deep enough into the catacombs that she's, you know, she's finding all the various monsters, like the, the chunky dude with who has like the head inside of his stomach. Yeah. Or that's like my the, favorite, the, the, I think. The, 
the very slimy like eyeless guys there's even guys who just straight up look like like charred devils who are like riding beasts and stuff like all of the effects (laughs) work is just so goopy and so fun and there's like caged monkey men and just blobs everywhere and it almost has like this haunted house like circus music to it because i i read that i I, elfman did the the soundtrack to this and this is following up 1989's uh batman so the score is very very much in that kind of um realm where it, it, it has some kind of dark elements but it also has some kind of like more sweeter sometimes. yeah a little sillier like a, there's even some kind of like mystical you know like kind of elements yeah. to it as well it's, elfman, it's 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 a fun score elfman was i think mentioning he's like he he, he basically he, he i think he understood how strange this movie was and and how many different directions it was going and so he ended up using like a ton of different percussion instruments and uh, like uh, almost almost tribal stuff at a certain point, which is cool, and it definitely works well with the with the monsters and their community. Um, but but yeah, he's he's doing a lot of different instrumentation in this, and in, and that's in true Danny Elfman fashion. He's always been kind of like almost cartoonish with his scores in a, in a great way. Um, but it, he does really suit well to this because it's just such a crazy mix-up of so many different things and i i think his sound well it's and 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 what a sight to 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 score too right like it's one of those things where it's almost like barker got to do like the hellraiser 2-esque set design and world building that that film got to do that he didn't get to be as much of a part of and like like this 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 whole midian underground thing it's just you know like i love the, how gross it is like the stains to it the texture to it like again he's has such a good eye for you know that kind of lived in grotesquerie even when he's trying to depict this as like you know something that it's you know this is this is a, a direct result of all of these monsters being driven underground in a very unfair you know kind of uh, fantasy-esque way yeah well yeah and the whole walk, her whole walk down to through the catacombs to find Boone is like, it, look, let's not kid ourselves. It's literally an excuse to show off like uh, it's like <laughs> yeah. a highlight reel of set design and FX work. But I love that. I love Absolutely. it. I love that they do. But and then I like the part where you learn about the berserkers where even like, again, air quote monsters, there's something down there that even the monsters are scared of. And that's the mm-hmm. berserkers down there. You kind of like set set that right. up. And you know, they're going to come into play at some point. But this idea that Chekhov's like, berserkers. <laughs> yes. Yes. That there's something down there that even the monsters don't want to fuck with. Is um I was gonna ask is the uh, the Lori sequence is it cut up a little bit more in the theatrical version because I I like it a lot um, but I did find that it, it was it, it feels very long like what you said it's 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 kind of showing off all of the production design and all of the makeup effects and stuff um, and I would just be curious if like in a theater theatrical release they'd be like let's just cut like a little bit of that uh, so that she can get to Boone faster and all of that but is, is the whole thing in there you now know? here's the thing that would be that's one I cannot say 100% for sure but I feel okay. like it is cut down but if it is it's not like severely cut you know what I mean gotcha. it might have been something where they trimmed a little bit because yeah it is a, it's I think a it's one of the sequence. best parts yeah yeah yeah. It, yeah it's definitely lengthy it's just it's just so much fun to watch because he never runs it's, it's it feels as if he never ran out of ideas of different monster designs it's just like one different monster after another as she goes deeper and deeper into the into the catacombs so it's it's really uh i, I enjoyed that sequence a lot 
Yeah, well, and and it is interesting, too, that like from there, it does kind of become a bit of like a resistance actioner almost and still yeah. with like a level of grossness that is, you know, uh, completely Barker. Like, I love how he can even turn a scene of like a, a girl picking up a pastry off a floor into something that just feels gross. I'm like, girl, why are you picking it up that way? It's <laughs> yeah. just it's just so, it's so much messier to pick it up in chunks like the way you're picking it up, which then, of course, you know, that turns into a scene where Cronenberg has decapitated her friend in front of her and then stabs her to death um, <laughs> yeah. and then it kind of turns into like an on the run like terminator thing for a little while like boone is in like his sunglasses and his leather jacket like hiding out <laughs> in in motels i was reminded a little bit of um uh, the uh the biker gang supernatural action thing of like <laughs> near dark or something yeah. but like mixed with a little bit of like a fantasy comic book aspect that i know that barker was definitely a fan of um yeah and i guess this is also where like when he turns the it it gets into the subplot, which is kind of the ending in a sense to where between him and Lori, they're having trouble really connecting because, or at least they have like a fear of them being able to connect because it's the, the monsters versus the naturals. I think they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So that, I think that's the beginning of that. Cause they, they have a scene where they're like trying to, to kiss or connect and they can't really. And eventually they, they do of course, but, um, I think that's where it starts in that in that hotel sequence before the SWAT team arrives and he has to escape. And the cops just beat the shit. I, I thought it was going to be an action scene from there, but it turns out they just like pick him up and the cops just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you're a fucking freak. And I was like, OK, Barker, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His makeup, too, when he turns is pretty cool. He's got like little like mm. it looks like little sigils or something on his face, you know, like there's like patterns on his face. Like the Boone monster effects are really cool looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they do a lot of cool natural transformations to it, too. Well, and he ends mm-hmm. up next to that weird... The weird priest that he ends up locked up next to plays a much bigger yes. role in the director's... Or in the theatrical version. Uh, a, a, different, oh, a different sort of role, I guess. It's this pretty much the same, but, like, the payoff is very different for his character. Um, okay, but, yeah. Based on the ending? Uh, yes. The abs- yeah. Uh, you know, that's... The, you gotta have the, <laughs> the... I like the that the priest is kind of uh, up until the moment that he gets all fucked up is like sympathetic though for to do like mm-hmm. you know it's cops yeah. versus monsters at the end the cops are the villains and the cops are like murderous psychopaths when oh, the yeah. when everything comes to a head at oh the yeah end. They're, they're like they hey why don't we shoot them shit. in their graves it would save us digging new ones <laughs> yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah, wild i i like the cop too when when boone when he learns that boone's dead and that he was killed in front of decker and that decker's like essentially been lying to him the whole time and he's like uh He's not lying on the ground dead. He's walking around in my fucking cell dead. It's like a really funny line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's in, like that guy that plays the cop. Uh, uh, who is it? It's uh, uh, Captain. The character's Captain Eagerman. But he, he plays like he's just outright the most evil cop ever. At a certain point <laughs> when the cops are, are like getting kind of overrun by the monsters in the battle sequence. Uh, he's just like, you're all cowards and I'm going to kill every single one of you. <laughs> yeah. And then he starts to try to shoot at everybody that was uh, presumably his like colleague and friend. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have any bullets, but it's just like he's completely unhinged. Even before, you know, that moment, he's un- unhinged. But he, he just plays him like yeah, a and total that- crazy person. Well, yeah, and he's played by the actor Charles Hayde, who is hmm. uh, from one of our, our favorite slimy cop movies of all time. The movie just called Cop oh, from 1988 yeah. with James Woods. I didn't recognize him. That's <laughs> awesome. Love well, Cop. They have, that, 
there's that extremely harrowing scene where they drag the one like it, it's like the sweet, gentle one who had the pet dog that they drag out into the sun and like cook alive. Uh, you know, like, oh, my God. Yeah. What a moment. Jesus. Christ. It's terrible. It's hor- It's hard to watch. It's a terrible <laughs> scene. I mean, it's great. It sets the cops up as like the ultimate vill- humans is the ultimate villains, because, again, yeah. you know, they didn't take somebody who could have handled themselves like, uh, you know, old uh, Pelican or something like that. Like mm-hmm. they took. um yeah, they're like the sweet, gentle guy, the sweet, gentle monster who's just like all smiles and shy and like drag him into the sun and kill him in the worst manner and, possible. And dude, when, when he explodes <laughs> right. from the sun, it's like dusty chunks. I've yeah. never seen anything quite like that one. Yeah, there's and, and speaking of, of, of near dark again, it reminded me of the, the shootout when they can't go into the sun. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. They're like burning up and which is one of my favorite aspects of that film because it takes the Western imagery of, you know, like bullet holes in a motel and then the sunbeams coming through are like burning them and stuff like that. And this has a, you know, a sort of similar thing where the cops drag the dude out, which would normally just be the scene where they, you know, they just beat this poor guy. But instead, the sun chars his skin and then ex- has him explode in front of them. And they're all just like, damn, that was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that one cop, too, and they're preparing to go to all out war that they show. He's got a garrote wire and he's like, ooh, a garrote. And he like erotically licks the fucking thing <laughs> oh my god yeah oh yeah yeah speaking and they, of they licking, recruit all they... the local like gun nuts and everything too like they're they're almost doing like a like they're ready to do like a genocidal purging yeah of these monsters like that's the that's the deal yeah and i gotta say uh they they had a little bit of uh, i like the 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 barker kink in there uh, just in the scene with boone and um and laurie where he's they're, they're it's a, a moment again where they're trying to connect um, like physically and he's turning um, and at first it seems like he's almost going to get rough with her but instead it just turns into him like licking her neck and getting a little bit kinkier with it so they can still <laughs> kind of connect on a level um, just just classic Barker stuff which I which I also appreciated mm-hmm. and, and it eventually leads to what is like almost a 30 minute long climax yeah which is so <laughs> long and crazy and the thing that I'll say about it is that the action staging and cutting is a little awkward. Yeah. Like you can tell that Barker, this is the first time he's been given this much money. You don't know that, you know, he's framed action this way and he's trying to, he's ambitious. He's trying to do like car chase moments in it, shootouts, like massive explosions, like cars crashing into what looks like hell on earth into like giant miniature set pieces. He's trying and, to incorporate you know, like the monsters powers themselves. Like there's one guy that has oh like God, two yeah. tentacles that come out of his, his body and then like gouge somebody's eyes out and stuff like that or suck the eyes out and shit. So there, there are some, or, or the, um, I don't remember her name, but she's kind of got like spikes all over her and she starts to kind <laughs> yes, of, the, 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 sedu- uh, yeah. the, the hedgehog seductress is what I wrote down. <laughs> nice. That's what we're calling her for sure. Yeah. That's uh, another weird hoardy monster scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She's like, Hey cops, like uh, come on over here. And she's, you know, she's literally a giant hedgehog woman, yeah, like showing off her body. It's funny because like with the other one uh, that they do that, she kind of, you know, it, it gets all misty in the jail cell and then and then she becomes topless and then he kisses the she kisses the cop and then he dies because of some like I don't know poison or something like that but it it, it shows why how you would be seduced by someone like that or, or along those lines whereas with the spiky girl they never cut away from the to the cop's perspective where they're seeing like a more traditionally pretty woman um, it's just the spike girl and they're still like oh you know what 
maybe. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, and then, you, of course, you get like the spikes in the face and all of that, which is great. But I, I did find that funny that they're seduced by her in general at all and not just instantly freaked out and running away. <laughs> yeah, well, the, these monsters, they just can't hide any longer. They got to fight back against all of these, you know, very trigger happy fascists. But they're all being like, it's still a very violent sequence like they're all being like most of them are being slaughtered Cronenberg is still out there running around with his mask on just trying to kill people this is where the Cronenberg stuff started to get a little silly for me because I was like we we, at this point we've kind of abandoned the slasher movie this is like a giant (laughs) action set piece and I I don't know that how scary he is anymore in like these scenes where you have like you know the cops are bursting through and graphically slaughtering our little goopy creature buddies and their children, like they're like <laughs> stormtroopers, and you have the monsters fighting back by like fist punching through chests. <laughs> and I was like, you know, Cronenberg just running around with like a knife. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's the, that is the thing. It's like once you get this kind of more expansive world of monsters, um, he becomes a lot more tame. Uh, but they still paint him as like an incredibly threatening force i guess and for boone well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he still gets like a boss finale action right. scene exactly and i do like the way he 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 dies where he stabs boone like through the chest and then uh boone uses the thing that's still the, the knife that's still in his chest to push him into him and stab him uh i always i yeah. always like when they're when they use like their own injury against the the opponent that's always fun in in any film also a really great shot when he drops to the you know oftentimes when you toss like a, a you know, obviously this wasn't like a stuntman that they tossed down below 20 feet onto like stone. But mm-hmm. uh, th- like oftentimes when you use like a dummy in place of something like that, it looks but this looks like there's like heft to this thing that they drop. It looks like an yeah. actual body hitting a hard surface when he tosses him down to the the, the rocks below. So, yeah, it's really well done. His death. Yeah. And satisfying. Uh, yeah. I also liked uh, this one just popped in my head. I like the the one part where the cop, I think it's like the initial time where they start the battle sequence. And I think it's the dread monster. Um, And he gets ran over by the truck. But of course, he's okay because he's immortal. And then the truck just bursts into the ground and completely like goes into their little underground area and like crashes through all the bridges and then explodes and all of that. It's there, there, there are some like really cool, uh, action beats in this, even though I, I do think his direction, um, here and there can be a little bit clunky with it, but it's, it's, it's just that there's so much to look at that you, you yeah. do kind of forget about it. It gets, for me, it got a, like a little bit exhausting. Um, just because he is throwing so much at you and some of it can be a little bit jarring, but it's, it, you are watching somebody that absolutely loves what they're putting on screen. And, and that shines through obviously like throughout the entire. Oh yeah. There's, film, the, the, so. there's so much passion and I, you know, like, I, and again, the, the, the ideas though obvious are like obviously very admirable as idea yeah. of like turning all of these uh, quote unquote unnatural freaks into this persecuted other. I've seen other people literally compare this and the queer angle to it to like rent and, mm. and like, like, like Barker definitely kind of has that quality, but yeah. it, it, it's mixed with, what is you know just what is uniquely him like the dorky and gross like genre ambition in which he needs to do to cathartically express those ideas like you wouldn't immediately think like the way someone would channel that would be hellraiser 
Right. But with Barker, that's absolutely what, what, what he's done here. And I think that for quite a bit of this, maybe his reach uh, exceeds his grasp on it. It's a bit of a mess to watch. It's a little bit of there's a little bit of tonal craziness, craziness <laughs> with just how grisly the horror can be, but almost how silly and childlike some of the, you know, the fantasy plotting, plotting yeah. can be. Yeah. Um but 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 and but again and also you know it's a very expensive looking movie but barker is obviously still in some ways kind of an amateur director in 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 other ways but you know it's one of those things where it's filled with so much insane shit that i've never seen before and like a level of true imagination and and glee yeah um that you know david cronenberg as a serial killing weirdo is like the fifth strangest thing in the movie <laughs> right. you know it's just like this is <laughs> this is like it. it's a, it's a it's a hefty budgeted fantasy blockbuster with janky narrative beats but the design work is pure and makeup and gore and everything and like the disgusting spectacle of it all mm-hmm. it, it, it it pounded me into submission i think when we got to the end because i was sitting there going like this is clunky. A lot of this action, and it, and it's over long, especially in the director's cut. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things where I just kind of kept going, man, when is he going to run out of things to show me? <laughs> right. and, 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 and he kind of just does it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And, like, you know, I imagine that this, you know, needed to be edited down. But I was, I think I was reading somewhere in here when they were trying to, they were talking about how the director's cut didn't happen until afterwards because they actually ended up finding a bunch of what they thought was lost footage and they found like an extended 159 minute version on a VHS mm-hmm. and so I'm just the like cabal cut yeah, yeah. I'm just it's- like what the hell could possibly be in that extra <laughs> hour that's fucking insane um I, especially I want to see it though so bad like, oh, yeah, I, I, would the, I want it. the cabal cut. I want it so yeah, bad. Yeah, if anyone out there that we know has the cabal cut, uh, send it to us, please. Yeah, I would 100% watch it because I'm just, I'm curious if, because I can't imagine the the kind of simple plotting gets expanded. So I, I would imagine it's just like more monster shit just over and over <laughs> and over again, which I can definitely appreciate. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know much how much more expansive like they can get with the whole, you know, we're we're the unnaturals, we're, we're going to fight the the human beings who have suppressed us and all of that i just i can't imagine the extra hour goes towards more of that but who knows one one part that always kind of cracks me up in this like unintentionally is when boone is learning from baphomet that his actual purpose was to break the chains of the night breed basically and find a new home that he is the cabal and -hmm. they show like the prophecy written on the wall and it's like a drawing of a guy in like a white t-shirt and black jeans like that is just so (laughs) funny to me like it is so funny to me (laughs) They, they, they knew what era he was going to come in and what the fashion would be. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but this, yeah, this whole thing ends on like a giant action set piece where there's, you know, the berserkers get unleashed. They start like flipping cop cars and dudes with flamethrowers are falling over and exploding. Cron- there's a Cronenberg action scene, which has got to be the only, you know, <laughs> on what looks like a, like a mortal combat stage. Yeah. Like, like it just, it, yeah. everything Dude, just keeps getting I'm so glad you weirder and bigger because it literally, re- I think I wrote it down too. Uh, it reminded me of the Scorpion versus Johnny Cage battle in mortal combat when they go down. The hell. <laughs> that's literally what it looks like. Yeah. That's like, exactly yeah, what it, it literally like. looks like what hell looks like in the mortal combat. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. Glad you had that same thought. 
Yeah, yeah, and and um, but but eventually, you know, they they do, you know, absolutely annihilate all of the cops. They they kill Cronenberg and dummy toss him into a pit. You know, they 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 get their way out, but no home is forever, and they must rebuild what they have destroyed. And and as Eric pointed out, you know, he becomes the new leader of the cabal. And uh, in the director's cut, there's this big ending where he like refuses to take Lori with him, so she literally like kills herself, <laughs> like Romeo and Juliet style, <laughs> essentially to be like him, yeah. so that he's forced to bite her and save her and make her part of the you know the the undead Midian. And uh, yeah, they become literally part of the prophecy wall in like the sunrise backdrop, and that's that's how the movie ends. They are going to lead the uh, the monsters to a to a new Midian. Yes. And they they're just kind of waiting for them to come back. Like, like this, it's like the shot <laughs> yeah, of the night breed, like just kind of yes. wait, hanging out like, OK, well, whenever Figure he comes back, we'll start this over. <laughs> yeah. Is there um was there a different ending for the theatrical? Because that's yeah, what so I I'll read. Run through, I'll run through a few differences here. So one thing you have to understand, too, about the theatrical and the, the director's cut is that. So the director's cut isn't just a theatrical cut with extra stuff added. There's like shit cut from the theatrical version, like a mm. significant portion because it's the, the, the director's cut. The theatrical, I believe, is an hour and 40 minutes. And the director's cut is two hours long, but there yeah. are 40 extra minutes in the director's cut. So they trim like 20 minutes out of the, the theatrical cut. Oh, so, OK. Mostly and mostly the stuff that's added is like I said, the first half, it's like a bunch of scenes at the beginning where uh, it's it really doesn't change the movie too much. It's mainly just like character building, um, some dialogue, the the dream sequence where he's tripping on LSD, Lori Ann uh, or Lori act Lori having the uh, scene where she's doing the karaoke is completely new. Uh, but the alternate ending, you know, Lori does not kill herself. Um, Ashbury announces is or has the announcement that he's going to seek revenge on the Nightbreed and kills uh, the captain is not present in the theatrical version. And uh, one of the big things, too, is that Narciss does survive in the theatrical cut. The director's cut is where you see him with his head cut off by Decker. He just kind of vanishes like you don't see him for the rest of the movie in the theatrical cut. So the, the theatrical the theatrical cut ending is uh, Decker is actually chained up by the priest. The priest has Decker chained up, and it's like Decker, like, dead, his dead body hanging there. And he's almost, like, in, a, like, a crucifixion pose. Okay. And the priest revives him. So the final shot of the theatrical cut is Cronenberg's head snaps up real quick, and through that creepy mask, he's just screaming because he's, like, a reanimated corpse psychopath so the ending of the, the theatrical cut is him like going and they, like i said none of that stuff laurie doesn't kill herself they don't have him as like the new leader of the night breed um hmm. none of that is present in the theatrical cut it just ends with it's again slasher in pure slasher formula the slasher coming back to life at the end but he's like screaming under that mask it's just him like ah and that's how it cuts to credits in the theatrical uh, cut. okay Huh. So it's like he's making a making a return. Yes. Seems like they're setting up a bunch of possible sequels if they if they could. <laughs> if they could have, yes, they were trying to prepare for a sequel, but this ended up tanking and that didn't happen. But yeah, so mostly um, it's it's again it leans into the Decker thing, but it cuts a lot of the Decker stuff out in the director's cut, and it adds a bunch of dialogue. But the lore stuff is mostly present, and it changes the ending. Uh, the, I guess the big part of the lore that's cut is in the end involving the Cabal thing and 
Boone being like the new guy and Laurie killing herself to come along with him. Like none of that happens in the theatrical cut. It just ends with them defeating the cops. Everybody's kind of wins at the end. They're happy. And then they do have to find a new home. But the priest, as opposed to like saying he's going to kill the Nightbreed, doesn't really say what he's planning on doing. Just that he brings back Decker at the end. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're taken to the end credits with this like very loud shot of Decker screaming in, in agony on this sort of crucifix that the priest has set up for him. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I want to watch the, uh, the theatrical. I just, I, it seems different enough for it to be kind of just taken completely differently. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to take a look at it eventually. I just didn't know where to find it. Everything that I looked for online seemed to be the, the DC. I don't know if that's just the more popular version right now, but, um, yeah. Why? And and it, it's the one that they they put out more recently on the Blu-ray, and yeah. the one that Barker like tells people to watch. Like it's the one that they, is like, his is vision. The most... Yeah. 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 Like it, it was it was the one that no one thought anyone would ever see, and they actually you know they really did give him a shot to you know cut his preferred version of it, and it is it is sort of interesting which one um, they ended up uh, going with, and I I yeah. think. Um, Pivoting towards the reductive rating round, I think on on Nightbreed here, this one gets a gets a very high uh, three for me as well. I definitely do want to watch the theatrical, and I want to yeah. give this one another go, like kind of knowing what it is going in because this was <laughs> yeah. another one where I it was very like as a first time experience, I was having my mind melted a little bit and the movie was changing gears like every 30 minutes. And I was like, I don't know how much of this is good and how much of this is just like weird and yeah, a blast and, I felt like and my I, brain regardless was, i was charmed by it yeah i felt like my brain was kind of like resetting every 20 minutes as if i was watching a different thing again um and so yeah i, I kind of feel you there yeah yeah so it's just yeah once again i think it's it's incredibly admirable and dorky and and gross but like the thing is just you know obviously a bit of a mess and obviously you know the the 80s fantasy storytelling aspect there there's some very clunky stuff going on there and at at two hours long too you know Mm -hmm. barker he has an impressive depth of uh, gruesome imagination, but it's just one of those things where it's hard to spend two hours sometimes with someone who, you know, hasn't necessarily figured out all the nuts and bolts of how to do a dramatic scene or an action scene. And is just kind of, you know, skating by on pure passion, which I will say for someone doing that Barker, it's wild is doing it. Yeah. Like it's, you know, like this is exactly the movie like i just have to respect that you know 12 million dollars was given to this like queer horror novelist and he was like yeah i'm gonna make the horror star wars epic and (laughs) it is going to be you know it is going to open on 30 minutes of the main guy being gaslit by his serial killer psychologist (laughs) played by david cronenberg that results in him having like horrible dreams and trips and getting riddled with bullets by cops and then it's going to end on 30 minutes of like the biggest gnarliest fantasy <laughs> war finale you've ever seen with like incredible sets and miniatures and explosions and <laughs> gore and just nonstop like monsters versus cops. And like the thing couldn't be more obvious, but you know, you could like, I at a certain point I did like feel what it was that he was 
he was going for like listening to Cronenberg very creepily deliver that little monologue I don't think we mentioned where he's talking about like I've cleaned up a lot of breeders families Mm -hmm. like cesspools who just make like filth and then continue to make filth and make filth and you know like he's he's literally talking about like you know committing genocide against a group of people meanwhile you have the monsters who are like you know they're they're passionate they're just like haven't you always envied us for being able to fly or like to be a wolf and you know it's uh, you call yeah she's like when you dream you dream of doing the kinds of things that that we can do even if they kind of gross you out in like a practical you know looking at us this is what it looks like the real world in this kind of way (laughs) and to combine that with like the you know the the fact that yeah then they get they get weirded out by these unnatural beings and they destroy them and like all of that stuff i think is very graphic and and disturbing so you know i think that barker is going for something cool and he, he this is more successful than it should be on a filmmaking level so yeah high three for me yeah i'm uh, i think i'm i'm there with you i just want to check out the theatrical version to see the differences and to see if that um lack of like the 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 cut 20 minutes it keeps my it's not that it, i shouldn't say it keeps my attention because i did find me i was glued to the film it's just that there were a lot of different directions it it took and i don't know if he if he cohesively edited them together in such a way that was completely like I just found it I found it jarring at times and I, I feel like I just want to re-watch it knowing exactly where it goes what kind of tone it's taking uh, the simplicity of the plot was a little bit eventually I, I found it to just be like I know what you're doing so I am just kind of here now for the monster designs and the battle and all of that um, but now just knowing where it all leads and um, how passionate he clearly is like you can see all the passion on screen so that's something that sells it well i just i just want to retackle it i think and uh and and give it another shot so yeah I, i'm gonna i'm gonna give it the strong three but i think this could honestly get the upgrade i'm gonna watch the theatrical and then maybe even rewatch the dc one of these days hell yeah i and i will say uh you know as somebody who spent however long with the theatrical cut only the theatrical cut warts and all just like the director's cut, warts and all, is is absolutely yeah. worth watching and very good. Uh, this movie is absolutely a four for me too. Like I really do love Nightbreed. I, uh, for all of its flaws, that that we've covered some of them in here. Um, I, I guess I, you know, there's like a there's also a nostalgia with this. Both of these movies we've mm. talked about have this like sort of nostalgia thing that maybe paints my my uh, my opinion here, or my rating here a little bit. But I can't help but respect the ambition on display here that Barker showed regardless of how this turned out, like it is very close to being more of a fiasco, but like, I respect that aspect of it, you know, like that, that makes it more Mm -hmm. fun that it's, it's dangerously close to fiasco territory, but he manages to thread that needle right and, and push it over to the right side that I just, I think this movie is, it's very watchable. It, Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's it's trying to say things that maybe and, you know, yeah, the humans are the real monsters is not like a brand new thing here. But like, you know, who cares when you're getting two hours of like really great goopy effects on top yeah. of it that 
uh, keeps your attention in ways that maybe it wouldn't have without all of that. And I think the performances are. Hey, and I, I want to say, and like we talked about with Rob Zombie on the Devil's Rejects, like it's very clear that Rob Zombie, you know, he 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 has he identifies with the monsters more than he does, mm-hmm. you know, the other characters in the films. And you can definitely feel that with 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 Barker here, like mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, it'd be super easy to be like the monsters are so cute and peaceful. But he's like, no, they're fucking gross and peaceful. Yeah, they still yeah. try you to know? kill Boone like, and, like <laughs> Laurie and stuff. So it's not like they're just, you know, retired or something like that. They're definitely still trying to kill and all that it's, yeah, it's no, like he's, a, he, he, he 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 likes the fact that that you know the these people are strange and unique and you can't look away from them and they are you know like i i really respect that aspect of it and it's totally felt in you know like the way that he chose to design the world that he made yeah mm-hmm. it's an ambitious and passionate mess and i love any time a film feels like that um it just sometimes takes me a little bit longer to latch onto it completely because it does feel messy, but it's just like you see all of his love on screen and I can't help but love that, you know, so. Yeah. And I, I, I do prefer at the end of the day, the director's cut is the one that I prefer. Mm, OK. Um, OK. But but the theatrical, I will tell you, is absolutely worth watching. And if I were rating both cuts, honestly, I would rate both cuts a four. Like, I have no problem saying that I think both cuts are a four. Wait. I just think that they're good in their own ways. And I, it is absolutely I got that uh, the Shout Factory version that came out with the you know, it was like the deluxe version that had like the theatrical cut as like three discs. And um, it was nice going back and actually watching the theatrical for the first time in a very long time because I pretty much had done away with the theatrical, but it still holds up very well. And uh, yeah, I do recommend, you know, if you watch one, watch the other one. Awesome. Well, I think that that is going to wrap it up for Nightbreed and for this week's episode. That was Night of the Demons from 1988 and Nightbreed from 1990. Thanks so much, uh, Eric, for for joining us and for bringing these films with you. Oh, thank yeah, you for thank having you. me on. Like, I am I am so because, you know, when 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 you asked me, I, the first thing that popped in my head was just like Nightbreed and it hadn't been done on here before. And uh, yep. I was shocked to learn that you hadn't seen it. And then I was like, well, how about Night of the Demons? And to learn that, like, you hadn't seen that one either. I was like super excited. I'm always a fan of like doing it that way too. Cause I think you would, yeah. neither you had seen slugs or pieces either. Right. Like, nope. When we nope. Yeah. So, uh, it's always fun to like get first reactions from this, especially for me who has like, again, like nostalgia. I'm the first to admit, like I have a whole podcast dedicated to like how cool it was to have soundtracks in the nineties. So like nostalgia, nostalgia, <laughs> so I, I can definitely be a huge, um, deciding factor on my opinions of things. So it's cool to hear like, the opinion of somebody who is like watching it for the first time in 2022. So uh, yeah. it was really good to come on here and talk about this because like I said, these are two movies that I would love to talk about that will never happen on my own show. And it was a blast coming on and doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we, 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 we totally felt that because we, when we were like, yeah, we're going to go on over to Soundtracker. Our first thought was, well, what is something that uh, is outside of our guidelines for our show where we don't cover 2000s or 2010s films for the most part? We make, we break the rules sometimes, but we were like, you know what? Let's talk about some Rob Zombie. So, you know, it definitely went both ways there. But um, Eric, this is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug, we usually have you do that. And I think you've got something to plug. We might have already plugged it a couple times. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, if you want to, you know, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at U-W-E-B-O-L-L-O-C-K-S, like the director, Uwe Boll, but with the... Uh, bollocks at the end so you could yeah, find one of the there. few directors who has uh hate <laughs> tweeted at our show once before so <laughs> he called uh 
us, or I guess more specifically, Josh, like a bitch motherfucker or something. It was awesome. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was. It was Highlight a great time because we covered. A, yeah, I we mean, covered uh, House of the Dead with uh, Resident uh, Resident Evil by Paul W S Anderson. I'm pretty sure pretty early on. <laughs> I, that's one of the things that I respect about that guy is his like not just like he'll just straight up well i mean he boxed people he boxed critics for christ's sakes like he's he's a genuine madman we gotta um, get josh in the ring baby yeah <laughs> i would get i would get demolished in a second i think uh, he's he's been training his whole life yeah, he's ready. <laughs> he, he found my twitter account and i thought that he was gonna get shitty with me about it but he is mostly okay because about the name thing i was like is he gonna be a dick about this but he he was <laughs> mostly chill about it so i was like oh hey i'm all right i'm all right i'm not gonna have to box this guy <laughs> there you go uh, and then the other thing that i have is i have a podcast called sound tracker where every week myself and a guest will look at a film that has an original motion picture soundtrack now in doing it that way, it's just as much of a movie soundtrack as it is a music sound or a, a movie podcast as it is a music podcast. Because at the end of the day, you know, you've got your big ones, Romeo and Juliet's and your Batman Forever's. But there are movies that I've covered on my show like Roadhouse or Major League. Great movies that you might not have realized nice. had original motion picture soundtracks. And that makes it, I think, more of an interactive thing because, you know, you can if it's a movie that you like, you know, you can listen to that and see how we feel about the soundtrack. And it's kind of fun to dig into that. So it's not held to the parameter that it's got to be a huge movie soundtrack every week. It's, 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 you know, it makes it very chaotic because from one week I could do, you know, I could do Romeo and Juliet and the next week do beat the Deedles or something like that. So yeah. it, it adds an interesting aspect to it, but uh, I've had tons of fun guests on Josh and Jamie were just on. I'm also in the midst of my Halloween run and I've done the craft Blade, The Devil's Rejects, Scream, and then after this episode comes out will be The Fear, which is what I'm really hoping people tune into because it's probably the least known movie that I've done on the show so far, but it has a really great soundtrack. I've got Bakun as a guest. So check it out. You can find it wherever you listen Friend to Friend of podcast. the pod, Bakun. Yeah. He's been on two or three times as well. Yeah, he's great. I'm so excited to have him on. And uh, you can follow along with the show on Twitter as well at Soundtracker with an underscore at the end. So, uh, you know, check it out if, you, if you'd like. If you want, that's cool. You know, I guess it's cool. Check it out. Yeah, it's a great show. Check I out. checked out the uh, the Blade episode and it was awesome. So, thank you, thank you. Yeah, highly recommend. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate wow. it. And and you know, I, I I'm just it's really cool to see how this show has grown too in the time since I was first on. You know, like watching the like the, the way that this has grown as far as like your fan base and having I mean merch that you can get on anything and that's great. It's really <laughs> awesome to have seen that. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it's hell, yeah. it's cool what you've done with this show. Yeah, it's been fun. Podcasters, we we got to stick together. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. We're all we're we're all night breed now. <laughs> yeah. <We're> all... <laughs> the unnaturals. That's right. The, God is out. God is a podcaster. Oz is over the moon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but but that being said, for for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time with the very last episode of Spooktober the big Halloween uh, episode where we are going to be doing 
a uh, non-franchise slasher double feature that I've had planned for years and haven't had a chance to slot it in yet. And we thought, what what better time than an episode that's uh, for the patrons exclusively going up on Halloween weekend. So we are going to be talking about one film called Blood Rage, yes. which was uh, Jamie's hint about our, our boy Terry. Oh. That film's directed by John Grismer. It is an absolute blast. It's actually one of the Halloween virtual watches we did in the first or second year of the show. Yeah. And it just brought the house down with the, you know, <laughs> we only had like 30 or 40 people watching with us, but it was, we all had an absolute blast Terry's uh, the with just how, yeah, <laughs> it's, it, what a, what a like domestic hysteria bloodbath with like a pulsing synth score to it. It's just a blast. And, uh, the, the pairing is a film from 1989 called grave robbers, which is actually a Mexican slasher film which i have put in there because i don't think that we have covered much actual mexican horror and it uh kind of made sense because for me it's another one of the very underrated slashers uh of the of the 80s and it's all about a satanic killer um so yeah that's and it's 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 pretty dirty and pretty gnarly and and in my opinion better than like 95 percent of the friday the 13th movies <laughs> as as a slasher yeah so uh we're going to be talking about two slashers we think people should be uh putting more into their uh spooky season rotation for the halloween episode next week over on patreon and then in two weeks time uh, it's going to be the first episode of Noir Vember, mm-hmm. where we, we we change gears and we move away from horror films and we <clears> talk <throat> exclusively about noir films. And we have a crazy lineup this year. But the first episode is we're going to be back with a special guest talking about two I haven't seen. We're going to be talking about Christmas Holiday and Cry of the City, which I believe are directed by Robert, uh, I think it's Sionmark, uh, and the, the guy who did The Killers, and I think we covered his one of his films, Phantom Lady, which oh, was a okay. very, very good uh, film, actually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about some noir, and uh, I will say that we are, that that's episode 249, the episode after is 250. That's crazy. And I won't say what it is yet, but I have a very, very, a huge noir double feature yeah, for, to one. celebrate 200 to celebrate 250 episodes. So, uh, look forward to that the week after. Can I say one thing? That being real said, quick? Though, oh, sorry. Oh, of course. oh yeah. 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 Go ahead. Uh, I want to say that blood rage is if, if anyone listening, you know, anyone that's listening to this has not seen blood rage. It is so fucking fun. Like I was yeah. just listening to you. And when you were talking about the pairing, I was trying to guess what it was going to be. Grave robbers is great. When you said 1989, my brain immediately went to intruder. Um, and uh, yes, that that which I re- I was looking up whether or not you've done that one on here yet. And I see that you have not. So if no one we is, have not, no one ever claims intruders. Next time you have me on intruders is going to be the one that I want to do because intruders is so, also a blast. But um, yeah, because that's the one that has Sam Raimi in it, right? The Scott yes. Spiegel one. Yep. OK. Yeah, I know that one. That's sick. Hell yeah. But yeah, that's what you can expect over the next couple of weeks. Um, I think that uh, wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep us easy. Keep us easy.